Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of February 29th, 2024, including... Xbox's biggest competitor, PlayStation, have announced mass layoffs, signaling not only what we already knew about the difficulties the industry currently faces, but also a broader understanding of where the brands like Xbox must head in order to maintain sustainability. Additionally, I finally ventured into the world of cloud gaming and found myself captivated by a game I thought I'd never care for. All that and more coming up. On this day in Xbox history, in the year 2008, 16 years ago, Devil May Cry 4 was released for the Xbox 360 in Russia. I don't know if it was released in other territories on that day, but yeah, I mean, this is Moby Games I'm going off of. They said Russia got Devil May Cry 4 (laughs) that day. I only played, what's the most recent Devil May Cry? Was it 5? I don't know. I think it's Devil May Cry 5, right? That's the most, that's the only one of these games I've ever played because it was in Game Pass uh, at least a couple couple years ago, and I actually loved that game a lot. Like I, I basically tuned out the entire story. Usually, I can't do that. I'm always envious of people who are able to do that. But yeah, it's Devil May Cry Five, released in 2019. Yeah, I've always been jealous or envious of people who are able to just like understand that some games are just there for the gameplay and be able to tune out the story. And I've never been able to do that. Like if a game doesn't grab me for its narrative and for its gameplay, then it's like it, it's got it's got to be the whole package. I can't just take one or the other. But with Devil May Cry, four or five, not four, I was able to just play through that game. And be like, yeah, this is this is good shit. It was like a game where I just skipped cutscenes, listened to podcasts, and really enjoyed the combat. But that is my. It's like a franchise I know of very well, and I know it's it's important. And its contributions to the space with its combat and just being a beloved long running franchise. Like I'm aware of all that, but like, I don't know. I just have no, no real grip on or understanding of the franchise outside of I blasted through the fifth one out of context once through game pass via a COVID summer and had a really good time for like nine hours. And that was it's devil may cry. Well, looks like 16 years ago, the Russians were enjoying the fourth entry, but I, I know nothing of that. So shout out to devil may cry. Guys, welcome to Xbox On, episode 248. Mike Clark writes in and says, Xbox On, the complete edition, my favorite Taco Bell podcast. Gonna be a great listen. Thank you, Mike Clark. Thank you for kicking us off for what I hope is another great week of the podcast. Now, we are running into one of those weeks where a little bit of a slower news week. Honestly, the biggest story happening in gaming right now is definitely a PlayStation story, and we're going to get into that this week because I think not well. Not only is it indicative of a of a bigger story we've already been talking about, and this this thing's already hit Xbox in a big way recently, but now that it's trickled over to the PlayStation ecosystem and they're dealing with this in, in a big way as well, I think it, it has a lot more to say about where the industry is not only going for most people, but it, it's just indefinitely going for everyone. We we got to talk about that. So we'll have a conversation about that. There's some other news to get to. It's still going to be a fun week. I'm especially excited to talk about the games I've been playing and all those things because I'm in a little bit of an experimental phase and I feel like 
my uh my maybe it's just maybe it's just a phase and that's all it is but my play style and my preferences are changing and this is this is all weird and different for me it's like uh what if not only girls but you can kiss boys too is, is all i'm saying no i didn't buy a playstation 5 we're talking about cloud gaming and we'll get to that in a little bit but uh until we do slower roll get into the opening news segments and talk about the noble game releases of the week we got two i guess one's a remake one's a remaster but two Previous existing games that have been brought forward. The first one being Brother uh, Brothers A Tale of Two Sons Remake, which comes to Xbox Series consoles and PC on the 28th, the day this podcast goes, well, actually the day I'm recording this podcast. And then also releasing the same day, Star Wars Dark Forces Remaster comes to Xbox Series consoles as well as Xbox One and PC. I know well, both Brothers is a, is a very well-liked game I have not played. And Star Wars Dark Forces, I know, is one of the more nostalgic old-school Star Wars games that people clamor for. I think, didn't Dark Forces come to Switch a while ago, like last year or something like that? Is this just now making its way over to Xbox and PlayStation? I don't know. I actually have, like, no touch, uh, no, no experience with Star Wars Dark Forces uh, other than knowing it's, like, the Doom clone-style Star Wars first-person shooter where he plays a... As a stormtrooper, um, I'm, a, I'm a kid of the late 90s and early 2000s, so I always have to watch myself and make sure I don't say clone trooper because I know I know that's the wrong thing to say. But uh, I feel like this is a game where, like, if it were to come to Game Pass, I would definitely give this a try, but I'm probably not going to spend, what is it, 20 bucks on uh, my own money to, to figure out that there's a Star Wars game that's kind of like Doom, but not as good as Doom, but probably still pretty good. I don't know. All right, we've talked about like three or four different games so far that I haven't played and I have no connection to. Let's, let's stop doing that. Start talking about games I am familiar with because, after all, I mean, in order to have some credibility to run your own Xbox podcast, at some point, you had to have played a game. You had to be familiar with some some game, you know? And, yes, I've, I've played plenty of uh, Jackbox Party Game and iToy. So, you know, Xbox Connect and Nintendo Wii Sports. So I'm very familiar with hardcore gaming and i have a lot of experience to draw from that we can talk about and uh but before we do that you guys let's open up this week with some new stories these are the mildly amusing stories stories that we don't have all that much to say about but we can have a, a small conversation it's the appetizer let's have some bread let's have some butter let's get some arancini or maybe a little calamari you know maybe a little uh maybe a little caprese salad going something some balsamic glaze and olive oil on these uh vine ripe tomatoes with mozzarella and coarse sea salt a little basil accent is your mouth watering good because we got some stories of mild amusement to get through all right starting off from vgc with a actually one that's maybe maybe a bigger story but i don't know let's just talk about it and see what, what comes of it halo co-creator marcus leto has left EA Studios, or the EA studio that he founded, to work on the next generation of Battlefield games. Leto, who co-created the Halo franchise back at Bungie, and performed both art direction and creative direction uh, in his roles, uh, founded Ridgeline Games back in 2021. The Seattle studio was formed to work on new single-player iterations of the Battlefield series, alongside other studios who were working on multiplayer and spin-off uh, Battlefield iterations. As noticed by social media users, uh, Leto's X account, which previously noted his role as game director of the Battlefield franchise, has now removed all references to Battlefield and to EA. VGC has also verified that Leto updated his Facebook account over the weekend to confirm he's left EA. No reason was given for the departure, but VGC has asked for comment on the story, so we may get an update if maybe he gives a quote. Who knows? Ridgeline Games is currently one of the multiple studios working on Battlefield games. Uh, 
which has seen its production significantly restructured following the disappointing launch of Battlefield 2042 in the fall of 2021. According to EA, Ridgeline was working on building rich, exciting stories with memorable characters, powerful experiences, all in the Battlefield universe. Meanwhile, LA-based studio Ripple Effect, which is also a new team spun up to work on the Battlefield franchise, uh, is working on new experiences that will complement and build upon the series' foundation. So Marcus Leto's team was basically supposed to make good campaign, single-player-driven Battlefield content, and then Ripple Effect, as well as, I forget the other team, and then probably DICE, are supposed to work on the multiplayer components, probably, you know, one team doing a Battle Royale, one team doing support work, one team doing the traditional multiplayer suite, all that kind of stuff. So this is a big deal, I guess, maybe if you're a boomer gamer like myself who looks at games like Call of Duty and looks at games like Battlefield and, hell, even looks at games like Bioshock 2 and says... Well, what's the point of having a multiplayer component if you don't have a single player component? I don't know, man. There's a reason why a lot of these games still have the single player component. It's not just because, you know, people like me, old man yelling at the sky, uh, are, are yearning for the, 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 the days of the Xbox 360 where every eight hour long FPS linear campaign had a tacked on multiplayer experience. Obviously, Battlefield, much like Call of Duty, it's its main competitor, are very much predicated on the multiplayer experience. It is the bread and the butter, it is the main attraction of the franchise. However, to me, I don't know, like there are there have been plenty of Battlefield games that release without campaign and those Battlefield games resonate with people like me a whole lot less. I feel like you just get so much so much wide, you know, mainstream kind of appeal and draw when you have this supplemental single player thing to, you know, to coincide with your multiplayer product. And clearly that must work to some extent because, I mean, Call of Duty is an annualized franchise that has consistently provided the campaign aspect for every single entry except for Black Ops, you know, 4 and back in 2018, and that was for, uh, you know, that was for development issue-related reasons, not because it was a creative decision. So clearly, you know, EA and, and, and Activision and these these big publishers see the value in this, in this single-player experience. And so this is a big deal because Leto is a huge talent. He's a good leader. He's worked on key franchises that people respect and appreciate a lot. And I don't know, like I was kind of pretty excited about EA's big restructuring initiative for the Battlefield franchise. They had a lot of ex-Halo people, they had a lot, a lot of ex-Call uh, of Duty people all under their umbrella working to kind of restructure and redo Battlefield. I've always felt personally, you know, the, the, the biggest pro and con that the Battlefield franchise always faced was that it was created and, and, and shepherded by DICE, a studio that is is both awesome and terrible. Like, I feel like... You know, you look at like early Battlefield entries, these games were awesome. And it's just the longer and longer time has gone on. I just feel like DICE has such a shaky grasp of the franchise and and what to do with making really compelling uh, multiplayer experiences. And, and, you know, maybe that's not entirely their fault. Uh, you know, to be completely fair, that I've always had a little bit of a, of a little a little bit of a di- distaste for DICE. So I don't mean to like, inter- you know, inject too much of my own anti-DICE sentiment into into like my impartial analysis or my attempted impartial analysis, but I don't know. It's just, I've always, I felt like for a long time with rare exception, you know, battlefield one back in 2016. And then of course, you know, the old days of battlefield back when you had like battlefield, bad company one and two, and even battlefield three. And and then of course, before that with like battlefield two and all, you know, 1948, 1946, and all the, all these wonderful games. I don't know, man, like, like dice, they knew what they were fucking doing, but these days they just, this franchise is so hit or miss. And honestly, in the post Xbox 360 era, 
aside from Battlefield 1, which I think most people agree is kind of like a fluke success, the only Battlefield game that's really stood out to me as like even remotely compelling or interesting was the visceral developed Battlefield Hardline from 2015. So the one that had a whole lot less dice involvement and visceral, of course, headed up the campaign initiative for that game. Dice did the multiplayer component. So point I'm trying to arrive at is, I don't know. I think battlefield is a very good franchise that has been very much mismanaged and very much miscared for under the, the ship, the stewardship of dice. And I was really excited about these new teams, you know, ripple effect who are still hard at work on multiplayer experiences being led by, uh, being led by Vince Zampella, the guy, the, the 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 head of respawn entertainment so titanfall apex legends and then before that the og infinity ward guy so modern warfare 2 all that good shit from back in the day so having that guy be at the helm of the multiplayer initiative with battlefield was really exciting and then having one of the, the one of the founding fathers of halo lead this this narrative single player campaign initiative that was also very exciting very enticing so i was I was really looking forward to see what Ridgeline games um, were going to do. And, you know, the good news is Ridgeline games will continue. They are still doing the single player stuff, but I don't know. You just, you just lost like the head of your fucking studio. So now what, you know, I just feel like we see so much of this too in, in, in more recent history where these new studios are spun up. They, they score some big talent and then they lose that big talent. Like J- Jason Blundell, um, Sonya got him with that new studio. I forget the name of the studio, but they were working on, they got Jason Blundell and a bunch of ex Treyarch Call of Duty Black Ops guys to head up some new team for PlayStation. They were working on a new first, first person shooter type game. And then he left. You see this a lot with like, with like the initiative where like when Drew Murray left Insomniac to come form the initiative and, and lead up this new quadruple a xbox team and then left the team and then other notable people left so i don't know i just feel like there's been enough examples in in relatively recent gaming history where these new promising teams get spun up with big ambition uh promising talent behind them and then promising talent leaves and then the studio is left in this kind of like well well now what state state and i i just wonder like was Ridgeline pretty far along with the next Battlefield game? What, what does this mean? Does this delay things? Are they in a bad spot now? So, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see if they make a big deal about who they get to replace Marcus Leto. Because, I mean, there's plenty of good talent out there. You could get another big name. Um, so, who, who knows? But, I don't know. This this guy's a, he's a legend, man. If I mean, if you're an Xbox fan, if you're a Halo fan, this is a name you know well. This is a, a figure on social media you see a lot if you follow kind of bigger figureheads in the gaming space, especially as far as developers go. And so, I don't know, losing this guy, it's, it's not it's not nothing. Hopefully he goes on to do something he loves. Hopefully he said he le- left on his own terms. Everything was amicable, but you know you don't just you don't just lose your your studio founder in the middle of restructuring a, a, a mega you know multi million dollar IP gaming blockbuster franchise you know over non-legitimate reasons so i don't know i mean it's just wonder what happened hope we uh hopefully we'll get that story and hopefully this doesn't you know spell trouble for the future of battlefield because it's a dude it's a franchise i want to see do well i think i think most xbox gamers kind of have some kind of touchback with battlefield battlefield being a, a big western first person shooting game very much at home in the xbox ecosystem very much an important franchise of the xbox 360 and xbox one years uh, this is clearly a franchise I think a lot of Xbox fans 
have a familiarity with and in, in, in some kind of love for. And we want to see it, you know, there's always that, like that secret, like, Oh man, I kind of, I kind of hope this next battlefield game kicks call of duty's ass, which is a little silly. Cause obviously battlefield and call of duty, despite their similarities are also very different from one another. And, you know, both can be good and both can be bad and we don't need to have them necessarily compete. But there is always that kind of a little bit of like the underdog thing with Battlefield where it's like you just kind of hope a Battlefield game comes out, you know, and just really takes all the oxygen in the room as far as big military first person shooting multiplayer video games. And uh, it just it really hasn't seemed like Battlefield's been able to ever do it in a very substantial long-standing way but you know in recent history just really do it at all i mean we're getting we're getting far removed from battlefield one it was 2016 i mean and now it's 2024 so it's it's been eight years as of as of this fall it'll been eight years since battlefield one came out so like what what are we doing what are we doing next guys what's going on so i don't know hopefully hopefully that that all goes well and i do look forward to seeing more i i kind of forgot until this story broke i was like shit man yeah battlefield man oh man there's just so much going on in the industry right now. So much so fast. I almost forgot about this massive franchise that we haven't, you know, heard from in a while. It's been almost three years uh, since since Battlefield 2042. And, you know, for a series that is not necessarily annualized, but we usually get a, a Battlefield every two to three years. It's like we're coming up on that time. It's about time to hear about and see the next Battlefield game. So, you know, you assume the next entry is probably going to take a little longer than usual due to all the restructuring, the new teams involved. But... I don't know, I'm a little I'm a little eager to see maybe this summer we find out what's what's the next Battlefield project, what's the setting, who's developing it, what's a sneak peek of what it might look like. So hopefully we get to see all of that at some point this calendar year and uh, hopefully all is not lost for uh, the new initiatives behind the Battlefield series because it's good stuff, good stuff. Bring back Battlefield Bad Company. I'm not saying remake them, but you know. I don't know, bring back that energy at least. Even if it's not necessarily a humor game or it doesn't bring back the same characters, at least inject that kind of like levity and fun and character, you know, like engrossing character based narrative that, that, um, that bad company had. God, that shit, that shit was so good. Where is that? One more mildly amusing story before we move on. You guys, Suicide Squad killed the Justice League. WB says the game has fallen short of their expectations. Unsurprisingly, I think we all could have guessed that was going to be the case. So here's VGC's uh, write-up for it. They say, following a number of delays, the game was finally released on February 2nd this year, just a couple weeks back. CFO uh, Gunnar Weidenfels provided a brief update on the game's early performance during a WB Discovery fourth quarter earnings call this past Friday. He said, quote, We are lapping the release of Hogwarts Legacy in February last year, which saw the largest portion of a very positive financial impact on the first quarter, he said. This year's Suicide Squad, one of our key video game releases of the year, has fallen short of our expectations since its release uh, earlier in the quarter, setting our games business up for a tough year-over-year comp to Q1. So this is, okay, a couple couple things about this. First of all, I think everyone saw this coming, so it's not much of a shock. Second of all, I don't know, man. Even if Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League was a moderate to, you know, reasonable success, it was never going to do Hogwarts Legacy numbers. You know, even if Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League wasn't a looter shooter, shared world, whatever kind of nonsensical multiplayer experience. What if it was a single player, narrative driven, kind of more traditional Arkham style game? Even if it achieved kind of being more what fans expected and wanted from this game, I don't think you would have seen, you know, Harry Potter is a huge thing to contend with. And that was a game that succeeded on, on, you know, delivering a a Harry Potter game experience that was long overdue 
to a massive market of very hungry, very, very devout, uh, devout Harry Potter fans. Whereas, you know, we've, we've gotten plenty of really great Batman and, and DC superhero games, um, over the years. So I just, I don't see how there was ever a world where Suicide Squad could really compete, but I don't know. I, I guess this is, it's kind of a march in, into battle knowing that you're going to get your ass kicked. Um, but like, with WB because I you know even though I'm sure they knew you know in the months or probably even the 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 last few years leading into the launch of this game that it was in trouble and that was going to not be exactly what they wanted it to be in terms of its its reception and its performance I mean they they you know come on man you had all this time to prepare and know and, and, and tell your people like hey we got we got shit coming in 2024 but it's it's not going to be what we did in 2023. Like, come on, like fucking prep your people for this. I I understand like you got a product to sell and you, and you gotta you gotta try and remain strong about your brand and your company and your product. You know, through it all, you can't exhibit that kind of lack in confidence. But come on, did anyone really think at WB that you know, Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League was gonna go toe to toe with the with the success, the roaring success that was Hogwarts Legacy? It just, I mean, never was there ever a chance. So. I don't know. I think it's a little silly. What I'm more interested to see are, are the numbers for Suicide Squad. Um, we'll get into it a little bit later in the show, but Circana did release uh, their February, um, their their January to early February numbers, and uh, you know for top twenty best selling games of the month. And Suicide Squad, despite only being on that list for you know basically one or two days, did crack the top five list. So at least initially, Suicide Squad you know, whether it met or exceed expectations or what, at least did well. So, you know, it's not like a, a huge bomb. It's just, uh, it seems like one of those games that probably got all of its money up front from, you know, it's it's, it's obligatory DC fans and it's diehards and all those kinds of you know, curious people like myself who just thought, ah, fuck it, I'll, I'll jump in and bite the bullet anyway. But the game clearly doesn't have, you know, that extension, that tail. Uh, where people are going to continue to come. It's got bad word of mouth. It's got bad reviews. Um, it, it, it's it got, you know, it was riddled with kind of performance bug issues, although not not really. It was just a lot of typical gamers fussing about nothing kind of stuff. But still, that, that word of mouth plus that, that, that fan disappointment of, hey, this isn't exactly what we wanted from a Suicide Squad game. I think you take all these things together, you, you bundle it up, and it, it, it creates a game where, you know, you're going to get that initial boom of like obligatory DC fandom. But after that, I think general audiences are going to be like, yeah, I don't know about that Suicide Squad game. Literally every review says, wait for it to go on sale before giving it a try or just straight up skip it. So, yeah, I mean, what what did you expect? So, unfortunately, that is a blunder, but hopefully it's a good lesson learned. I, I, I Again, I'll say as someone who's played this game, someone who bought it day one, I enjoyed it. The game has plenty of shortcomings, and I totally understand a lot of the the disappointment with this game, but I I do think it's a little better than people are giving it credit for. But at the same time, I do hope this is a lesson learned for WB and, and other publishers. It's like, Hey guys, even as you know, and then this is me speaking for myself, even as someone who did enjoy this game a decent amount, clearly this isn't what this game should have been. Clearly this isn't what, you know, what rock said would have made as, as we know, as the reporting now goes, they were working on a different original IP multiplayer experience and got kind of forced into making a Suicide Squad game, and they basically Frankensteined the IP they were forced to work with with the idea in the game that they were already kind of spinning up in their heads, and what we ended up with was a Suicide Squad game that is not a proper Suicide Squad experience in terms of you know how it treats the source material, and a, and a, uh, a looter shooter that is not all that 
robust. It's got pretty great mechanics and foundation, but a severe shortage of 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 mission design and just yeah, it's 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 my big my big takeaway. And I guess we could just talk about this now because it's, it's one of the games I've been playing. Is like I I, I tried to stick with this game after the campaign because I enjoyed the story content very much. But really, the post game for this game just it, it it wears thin so fast because there's just so there's just so little variety in mission design and in, in in objectives that you just get bored of it so fast without new story content to keep you hooked and invested in the game. So I'll definitely come back when season one, season two stuff starts happening. There is more content. There's new characters. There's new missions. There's new story to, to enjoy. Um, but for now, it's like, yeah, I beat I beat the main quest, and I'm basically just completely done with the game because I don't care about grinding the same two mission structure, uh, two types of missions over and over and over again for more gear for, you know, the millionth looter shooter or, or shared world shooter type multiplayer game I've played. So I don't know. Not It's... It's a very fun game, but hopefully lesson learned for WB and is anybody surprised? So I don't know what to say. Hogwarts Legacy, we tell investors. Oh, what what a surprise. The shared world multiplayer looter shooter Suicide Squad game isn't performing the way Hogwarts Legacy did last year. Yeah. Yes, correct. All right, guys. Let's move out of the uh, out of the mildly amusing stories and into the. I'm, I'm just really excited to get to the what I've been playing. Uh, to be completely frank with you guys, so we'll get right into that. Talk about the games I've been playing this week. But before I can tell you about the games I've been playing this week, first I got to mm, tell you about what I've been playing, what I've been eating. You know what I've been playing. You can't eat if you're not playing. You can't play if you're not fueled up. And what fuels us as human beings is food. So here's the what I've been eating, you guys. I've been a pretty boring boy lately, been grocery shopping, eating at home, but I do want to just shout out burrata cheese, okay? We've talked about cheese on the show before, and I feel like we didn't bring up enough cheese types, so today I just want to give a shout out to a special type of cheese called burrata. It is that milky, creamy, mozzarella-adjacent, beautiful masterpiece of Italian cheese, and uh, Aldi had it on sale this week. It was like the $6 tub of like burrata where you get the two balls of, 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 of the cheese, uh, was on sale for $2 instead of $6. So I bought up three tubs of this shit, and I'm going to be making fucking pesto tomato salads and, and, and sandwiches and pastas and shit with this. I'm going nuts with the burrata. got tomatoes, got balsamic, you got olive oil, you got basil, you got fucking go nuts. It's your birthday. So shout out to the burrata, the creamy, milky, rich, beautiful cheese you are. You're phenomenal. Uh, the Italians invented you, but I will eat you. And that is how that goes. So that's it. Really all, all I got for what I've been eating. I, I wish I had something more compelling. I want to try that new chicken empanada at Taco Bell, but also I'm trying very hard to stay away from fast food. So I don't have anything to say there, but maybe next week. Who knows? I don't fucking know. Maybe I'll go to Sonic. Maybe I'll go to Sonic and get an ocean water and a cheeseburger and a corn dog. And we can talk about that. Who knows? The future's full of possibilities. And speaking of possibilities, I just want to bypass the what I've been eating and get to the what I've been playing. So you guys... So we talked about Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League. I have nothing more to say about that. I'm, I'm hanging it up until until new content comes out. But in the meantime, I am finding plenty of ways to keep myself busy. Now, Helldivers 2, another game I kind of... I w- I'm not done with this game. I didn't hang it up, but I just didn't play it this weekend. I thought I would play it a little bit. And then the, the squad I've been playing with, uh, they were not active. They were not playing the game, so I, I did not play Helldivers 2 really at all. But... That's half because I didn't have my party to play with and half because this other thing I've been doing. So I, as I mentioned in passing last week, I, uh, I caved in and I ordered 
a Logitech G Cloud streaming handheld. This is a device that came out, I guess, about a year, a year and a half ago. It's been out for a little while now. I mean, I guess a year and a half isn't a little while. It's been out for a minute now. And I don't know. I've been very interested in a dedicated handheld. And I know everyone's like, dude, Steam Deck, Steam Deck, Steam Deck, ROG Ally, Steam Deck. Yeah, yes. Um, But the thing is, it's like, it's kind of the same reason I push back on like PC gaming in general. It's like, I don't really want a big, bulky $700. Ooh, Steam Deck starts at $350, $400. Shut up. I don't want a four, five, six hundred dollar uh, portable PC that's super beefy and so powerful and weighs eight point seven pounds and uh, you know weighs roughly the the, the size of an overweight newborn child and, and gets you know a roaring fifty two minute battery on a full charge with low brightness and and all that like I don't get me wrong it's fucking awesome that we live in a world now where you can buy this piece of steam mobile hardware that can run fucking starfield natively on the go on this tiny little screen and like all all that shit is awesome i think these devices are really cool if i if i if money wasn't an object and i could just buy shit flippantly and not in you know with no recourse whatsoever i'd get an rog ally i'm very interested in the idea of having a windows-based handheld device but to me these streaming devices are far more compelling because one, I'm not 10 years old anymore. What the fuck am I going to do with a with a portable gaming system outside of the house, you know? I under- Ooh, but you can't take a streaming device outside the house. What am I going to do outside the house, man? I live in the United States. We don't have public transit. So it's not like I'm going to fucking play my play my ROG Ally or whatever on the on the bus or on the train. That's not going to happen, you know? You got to drive everywhere here. So I don't, you know, it's not, I'm not when I was a kid, you know, I had a Game Boy Color. I'd follow mom around the fucking grocery store and accidentally step on her feet while I play Lego Brickster on my goddamn Game Boy Color. Like, sure, it was great. Those are good times. I remember the Spider-Man game on Game Boy Advance and Beyblade and all that shit. That was good stuff. But I don't know. Like, I don't need my handheld to be... I don't need to take my handheld places. The reason to have a handheld as a borderline 30-year-old man is because sometimes... I want to be a halfway decent boyfriend and let my girlfriend watch the TV, but I also want to be with her, but I also don't want to watch what she's watching on TV. So, you know, you get a gaming handheld, you play your Xbox on your handheld, she gets the TV, she watches her show, you sit on the couch together, you're still there doing your own things separately but together, and it's it's cute, it's nice, you know? You're watching the hockey game. You want to play Xbox, but you're watching the hockey game, and Microsoft hates you, so they took the snap feature out of Xbox, so you can't watch the hockey game in the corner of one TV while you take the other three quarters of the TV to play a video game because Microsoft hates you because they hate happiness and they hate fun. So what do you do? You get a streaming handheld so you can play Xbox on your handheld while you watch hockey on the big screen. Okay, I'm cool with that. Spring training just started this weekend. This week, watch some uh, watch some baseball. Okay. Laying in bed. I'm going to go to bed. Maybe I'm going to stay up for an extra hour. Lay in bed and play another hour of Halo Infinite or whatever the fuck. Cool, a little streaming, little portable player. So these are the this is my method. These are the reasons why I always leaned more towards the streaming devices like the Logitech G Cloud or like all these different controllers like the fucking Backbone and all the Razer Kishis and shit. You can snap onto an Android phone and turn it into a makeshift Game Pass tablet device because it's like that's just way more appealing to me. Long battery life, Lightweight device, 
you know, all I need it for is to sit on the couch or lay in bed or whatever, you know, play games. So that shit gets me. And, and the main reason I never got the, um, honestly, really the only reason I didn't get a Logitech G cloud up until this point is because when it was announced, Logitech was like, Oh, we're making this device in partnership with Tencent games. I was like, fuck you. (laughs) I don't want to support Tencent. And, I, I I think I still did cave like a little bitch by buying this, but my 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 way I rationalize it to myself is I bought the device refurbished on eBay, so I bought it from a private seller used refurbished model instead of buying it brand new. So I'm like, okay, Logitech and Tencent don't get my my money by buying it brand new directly from them. I'm just gonna buy it used secondhand market from someone who already gave the money to that that company anyway. So that's how I rationalize it to myself. And also I was able to get it for $200 on eBay as opposed to $350 on Amazon or direct through their website. But I don't know, man. Now now I finally have one. I have the, the Logitech G Cloud. And the only thing I can think is I kind of wish I got one of these things sooner. I don't know. It's like the way I felt about this device is very much the way I generally feel about games where it's like, you know, I see a trailer for a game. I'm like, oh, that game looks cool. That's a Jesse game. I know that's a Jesse game. Like, like Justice League uh, Suicide Squad killed the Justice League, right? It's like, everyone says it looks bad and whatever, but I can see it and I know myself and my taste well enough that I, I watch one trailer. I'm like, yeah, that looks like fun. I know I like that game. Might not be the best game ever, but I know, I know I will have fun if I play that game. So, you know, lo and behold, the game came out, got bad reviews. I still bought it. I still played it, still enjoyed it. Cause I just, I just kind of know my taste. I know my preferences well enough. That's exactly how I feel about this device. After a year and a half of sitting on the fence saying, mm, I don't want to support Tencent. I don't know. Do I really need a luxury, you know, accessory device that can stream my Xbox to my handheld? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the answer is yes, I do. It's fucking awesome. And I love this device. It's really, really great. First of all, um, shout out to the ergonomics because even though, um, even though I, I'm open to these devices, I think they're cool. I've never actually gotten to use a Steam Deck or an ROG Ally, so I have really no reference for what any of these devices feel like in the hand with the exception of the Nintendo Switch, which, again, shout out to the Nintendo Switch. I think it's a great piece of hardware. It's a revolutionary idea. It's a fucking great idea, and clearly everyone agrees because everyone and their mom is trying to take this concept and run with it to some extent, this hybrid device, this remove the controllers, dock it, whatever you do with it the next generation of Xbox is likely going to have some kind of inspired alternative device akin to a Nintendo switch. So give Nintendo their credit, give Nintendo the respect. They clearly deserve switch is a really innovative, wonderful all in one handheld console device that I have a lot of appreciation for that being said, as someone who bought the Nintendo switch day one, I was there at midnight at my local Best Buy buying this motherfucker in a cold Atlanta, February or March or whatever day. The Nintendo Switch feels like ass in your hands. Holding a Nintendo Switch makes me want to hold fucking steaming hot coals that are giving me third degree burns. Like I, the Nintendo Switch is like a, a it's like a record achievement for Nintendo and Nintendo's ever, ever, um, ever ongoing quest to make the most absurdly dog shit controllers they've, they, you know, anyone could ever make. I don't, I, I, it still baffles me that they made the Nintendo GameCube controller because the GameCube controller is so incredibly amazing. And then literally everything else they've made has been like dog shit uh, from start to finish. And I say that as someone who, you know, I love the Wii U. I love the Wii. I love Nintendo. They they can't make a good controller save their goddamn pathetic fucking lives. Uh, and the Nintendo Switch is no exception. So my understanding is that these things would always feel like shit in your hands. But the ROG, not the ROG Ally, I don't, I don't have that. The Logitech G Cloud um, feels fucking phenomenal in the hands. It's, it's so, so great to hold. 
And now that I'm not ranting about Nintendo for no godforsaken reason, um, we can get back to talking about this device. So feels amazing in your hand. It's ergonomic. Um, the controllers don't detach. And I understand that's the the big, re- you know, the reason the Switch feels so shitty in your hands is because they got to design it ergonomically to have the Joy-Cons removed, but also have the thing be dockable. And so it's it's constrained by all the things it has to do. Whereas the G the G Cloud is just a tablet, dev- uh, you know, a handheld tablet device and nothing else. So the, the controllers are attached to the tablet. You don't dock the tablet. And so they're able to design it ergonomically in a way that's really comfortable to hold because they don't have those constraints to work with. So I get that. But goddamn, does it help to have uh, a handheld tablet device be this incredibly good in the hands to hold? Um, also, you know, obviously, anytime you talk about a streaming device, everyone's big concern is like, well, what if your internet's not good or what if the streaming quality isn't good? Listen, I'm not savvy enough to be able to talk. Ooh, there's a Wi-Fi 6 enabled chip in it. I, don't, I can't talk about it. Ooh, the Snapdragon 742 chip. Whatever. We're not here to talk about the, the intricate detailed ins and outs because I'm not savvy enough to really get into why it works the way it works. But I have pretty average ass internet where I live. And, you know, I don't. I, this thing works phenomenal. Like, I've only gotten to try it. Uh, I've only really gotten to play with it a little bit over two days because um, uh, thing, the United States Postal Service um, accidentally sent my device to uh, fucking Bradenton, Florida on accident instead of towards Orlando. So um, I got like a four day delay in my shipment. So I haven't, you know, I was hoping to get to spend the whole weekend with it and get more extensive thoughts, but I've only really gotten to play with it for like yesterday and a little bit today. Um, but so far I have played multiple points throughout yesterday and today. I've played multiple games, you know, ranging from RPGs to first-person shooters to racing, every a little of everything. And my experience with this device has been flawless. Input delay, non-existent, or at least it's imperceptible. Um, streaming quality, not incredible, but pretty good. Um, you know, screen tearing, frame rate drop. Oh, no, everything looks pretty damn great especially on this seven inch tablet where you you can't tell if it's fucking 1440p or 4k or whatever the hell it is so it looks great it's a 1080p display and uh, everything i've played on it looks really good so i'm really loving this device and it's really opening a new dimension for me in terms of how i can interact with with games going forward because i don't know man i'm so excited like another game i've been playing which we'll talk about in a minute i've been playing dead island 2 uh, I'm really enjoying like playing that on the couch on my Xbox Series X, and then like okay, so I'm playing Dead Island 2. It's good, N- you know. Now we're going to bed, or or she's gonna watch fucking Downton Abbey for the hundredth time, and that's good. She likes that. Good for her. So she's gonna go do that, and now I'm gonna switch over to the portable. I'm gonna be playing Wasteland 3 on the on the G Cloud, and another game I'm about to get into. Um, so just really really enjoying that that ability to like, keep playing. And uh, also, it's exciting because I love the idea of, like, different kinds of games are suited for different environments. So, like, a more slow-paced, methodical, RPG-style game, so great for this handheld device. Like, I want to go finish some more Yakuza games, great games to just lay in bed and play. Uh, But then when I want to play something like a first-person shooter or whatever, go down to the living room, sit on the couch, sit in front of the TV with the traditional Xbox controller in hand and enjoy that experience. So... I really love this, and uh, this kind of device, I guess the last thing I'll say just to wrap it up, you know, my overall thoughts is this kind of device is obviously kind of a little bit of a beginning of the end sort of thing or beginning of the inevitable future for gaming. We can all feel it. Uh, You know, it's no coincidence that 
every brand is, you know, every PC accessory company is trying to make their own version of one of these tablets. PlayStation's experimenting with the PlayStation portal. We know Xbox is working on one of these for the next generation of Xbox. So clearly, you know, the, the Nintendo switch has been nothing but a roaring success. Steam deck has been way more successful than anyone anticipated. And so clearly this is something that the people want. And this is something that we're going to continue to see more of. And as we continue to move into this future where maybe one day Xbox isn't making hardware anymore. And we move into this future where, um, you know, everything is inevitably going to be streamed from the cloud and everything inevitably is going to be uh, more of a service and less as a hardware platform, you know, even one day, maybe PlayStation and all that playing on the G cloud and having this kind of flexibility with, with Xbox in particular, it helps you understand that inevitable future and kind of accept it a little more. Now, again, I always want my fucking Xbox hardware. Give me my Xbox. Give me my amazing controller. Give me my powerful Xbox piece of hardware and let me play my games natively on that. But all these other things, you know, streaming to the Android phones and dedicated gaming handhelds and the PC cross-progression shit, like, it's great. It's great when the Xbox ecosystem is singing in harmony because there's all these places you can play, you know, not to buy into the marketing too much, but every screen is an Xbox, you know, a recent Phil Spencer quote. It can feel really good if, you, if, if you're able to especially when you're a busy adult and you don't have endless free time to sit in front of a TV and just play video games because the only other thing you have going on in your life is a math test next Thursday. You know, it's it's nice to be able to have your gaming be accessible in all these other ways as you have to fit, you know, little chunks of free time here and there and different devices fit different settings and times and, and moments to play. So I'm really, really enjoying uh, the flexibility, the device itself and the new opportunity you know, opportunities to play games that, that this device is presenting. And with that, I guess we'll get into the two games I've really been playing this this week. Oh, uh, a little end cap on Close to the Sun. I, I said last week I was playing that. That was just a game my girlfriend and I were playing a little bit every night. Um, it's a little four-hour walking sim adventure type game. If you ever played like Gone Home or Tacoma or Everybody's Gone to the Rapture or uh, Firewatch or any of those kinds of games, Virginia, what, what Remains of Edith Finch, so on and so forth. Um, you're very familiar with these styles, these style of games. Um, this one is a little more of like a creepy, uh, horror esque kind of narrative game about this uh, girl who goes to find her sister aboard this um, Epcot inspired ocean liner, um, where like all these great minds came together to work on scientific endeavors and and, and and stuff, and then chaos ensues and all this stuff and creepy stuff, and it's like a survival horror type experience, but. Um, in one of these kind of walking simulator adventure four-hour narrative-driven games. And the game is rough around the edges. It's not great. Uh, I've played many of these kinds of games, and this is probably on the lower rung uh, of these types of games, but I do enjoy these kinds of games quite a bit, and so I still had a pretty good time playing it. And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's nothing to write home about, something special, but if you enjoy these kinds of games, if you have a tendency to gravitate towards these kinds of experiences... It's in Game Pass. It came, the game came out a couple of years ago, but it just came to Game Pass in the past month or two. And um, I thought it was a lot of fun. So we played it over like three or four sessions, an hour here, an hour there. After about three and a half, four hours, we beat the game and it was a good time. It was a nice little, you know, it's like sitting down and just picking a random movie on Netflix and enjoying it one evening. It's kind of like the video game equivalent of that. And it was fine. I just really don't have much to say about it. But the two games I have been playing this week are Dead Island 2 and Wasteland 3. Two games that if you asked me last week, I would say no chance in hell I'll be playing those games. I really thought I was going to get into Yakuza 4 this week. That was my original plan. 
Um, Dead Island 2. Well, Jesse, how are you playing Dead Island 2? You went out and bought it like a fucking idiot? No, stupid idiot. I don't spend money on games. I'm an Xbox fan. We're ruining the industry by relying exclusively on subscription services. Well, so after we recorded, after I recorded the podcast last week, the day the show went live on Thursday, a little surprise drop happened on Game Pass. Dead Island 2, a Deep Silver published, Dan Buster developed game that came out last spring, just randomly fucking came to Game Pass. No no warning, no anything. They're just like, boom, here's Dead Island 2 on Game Pass now. And this is really weird because it came to Game Pass, but only for console, not for PC, and only for Game Pass Ultimate subscribers. So if, if it's not on core or anything like that. So it's very specifically basically like you got an Xbox series X or series S and you subscribe to game pass ultimate down Two is surprise released on game pass. So what well, I mean, I guess what else is new? Not, you know, game pass core doesn't get any, everything. They just get like a small catalog of games, but just to clarify, it's like just on console. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I was, I, I saw, I saw it on Friday. I was playing, I saw it on Friday and I, I remember like, I guess I lied to myself. I was like, Dead Island 2, now on Game Pass. I'm like, huh. I guess we must have talked about that on the podcast yesterday, and I just forgot about it. Huh, that's weird. And then on Saturday, I was on my Xbox, and I saw it again. I was like, yeah, man, I really just don't remember talking about Dead Island 2 coming to Xbox on the podcast this week. That's just so weird. And then on Sunday, I was on VGC, and I saw the thing about it, and they're like, yeah, just surprise launched. And, and then I like read saw it on Xbox Wire, and I saw it on some other sites. I'm like, Oh, that explains so much. This this literally all happened like hours after the podcast went live. They just said, fuck you, surprise, Deadline 2 is now on Game Pass. Um, so I, I was like, ah, fuck it. You know, this will be a fun thing to try. You know, I, I tried to sit down and play some Suicide Squad and, and had my revelation that I'm done with this game until there's like a new season of content. So I turned that off and said, fuck it, let's go play Dead Island 2. And I booted it up. And I only right now I'm only about two three hours into the game, but I I must say, Dead Island Two, this is instantly a lot of fun, and I think that's notable for a couple of reasons because, you know, chief among them being I fucking hate Dead Island One. I think Dead Island One is such an absolute dog turd of a video game. Like obviously that game is so iconic for its it, it or it has its original announcement trailer is so iconic. And therefore I feel like it's one of those rare games where the trailer was so impactful and so widely spread and talked about that people kind of lied to themselves and said, Hey, this is a really good game, but the actual end product of the original dead Island, I think is just such a fucking donkey dick dog shit, waste of time game. I, I really absolutely loathe that game. And it's, it's, it's actually such a great redemption story because you know, the, the team, the Techland team went on to go create Dying Light, which I, you know, 2015's Dying Light, which I think is a really great game. Um, so thankfully they had their redemption arc when they, when, you know, they, they went on to go make Dying Light and, and that game worked out for them. And I haven't played Dying Light too, but that's one of those games that's like in my backlog. I know one day I will get to it. I just haven't gotten to it yet. Uh, but I, I never expected to get around to Dead Island 2, you know, announced in 2014 in development hell for a long ass time kept swapping developer hands at one, at, you know, I think, I think it had three or four different developers over the course of its eight year, eight year tortured development cycle. Uh, but the last developer it ended up in the hands of was none other than Dan Buster studios, which is the team that made Homefront: the revolution, a game I played last year and, and talked about how incredibly fun it was for a game that everyone hated and just kind of came and went and 
is 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 more or less a forgotten game and I don't know. So there was something interesting about that where I was like, huh, I'd like to see what another Dan Buster Studio game turns out like. And so I booed this thing up and man, dude, Dead Island 2, it is just, it's just night and day compared to the first game. I know, I know different developer uh, came out many, many, many years later. Um, so, the, you know, there's many differences to be had here, that, you know. So it's not necessarily like, a, oh, you gave them three years and they made a really great sequel and, and turned things around. It's like, no, different developer, different approach to the game, different generation. Like, it's been a, it's been a while. It's been two hardware generations since the first Dead Island came out. Um, but, yeah, the second one is really good. I, I will say combat feels incredibly satisfying and kinetic and, like, you just, you feel every fucking hit on a zombie like you feel it it's all melee combat and when you fucking take a, a pipe or or a stick or whatever and you smack a zombie in the face you feel that that pipe connect with their face and it's just it's guttural it's visceral it's violence gory and it feels so satisfying to play um so combat is really good in this game and then movement's really good too it's it's a lot faster than the original game and you got your traditional you know your modern day fps required move with the slide move and, and all this stuff you know, has basic skill tree and different kinds of things basic um mods and mechanics to to customize your weapons and things like that um but the game is is really fun and it's really linear um so it's not like huge a big open world map like a freaking far cry game and now go explore it's like no here's like a pretty linear experience on a map and sometimes you can do a little bit of exploration but it's pretty mission by mission like linear structured and the game kind of guides you through which i appreciate because this game really doesn't attempt to do anything special that we haven't seen before. I, I must say, for as for as much as I do like the game, it is the most video game thing in the world. Like, this game accomplishes nothing that hasn't been done before in, in a game and has absolutely nothing new or, or provocative to say. Like, there's nothing about Dead Island 2 that is like, wow, you guys gotta play Dead Island 2. Here's what makes it special. It's like, no, no, no. It is just textbook video game. But it does it pretty damn well. Like it is a, it's a double A, great if you get on sale, thirty forty dollar, uh, fifteen to twenty hour zombie romp. Like it's the perfect game to play. Listen to some music, listen to a podcast, whack some fucking zombies, and and just enjoy enjoy some nice relaxing video game time. If you've played Far Cry, it's got a lot of Far Cry DNA. If you've played other games like Dying Light or Dead Island One, it's got a lot of that DNA in it. If you've played basically any modern uh, mission structure, first person action game with a skill tree and very light RPG elements, you have played a game like Dead Island 2. The thing that makes Dead Island 2 special is it looks good, the gore is incredible, the the combat is, kin is kinetic and, and really just visceral and violent and fun. And uh, yeah, it just it, it, it is a uninspired generic premise that is just executed on really, really well. And I think... I. I I don't know. It's got that Dan Buster thing I felt with Homefront: The Revolution, where I'm like, yeah, this game isn't really all that special. It's not like breaking new ground, but it's a lot of fun. And so I feel like this is, I don't know, this is one of those teams that kind of satisfies that 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 desire I'm always talking about. How I miss the double A space, and I miss games that are just about gameplay and games that are just like fun. It's like you don't always have to be trying to tell a, a crazy cinematic story. Sometimes it's like video game equals fun. And uh, this is the second time now I played a Dan Buster game where I'm like, yeah, they, these guys totally fucking get it. This is pure double A, unadulterated, goo, like just stupid fucking child goober fun. And uh, 
Dead Island 2. It's a good, good time. I will I will say one negative thing about this game that I got to get off my chest. The opening to this game is such donkey dick, dummy, stupid, poopy butt uh, because, it, it, God, it's just so dumb. It's just... It's so video game, you know, it's like four like punk rock people, purple hair, dude with the mohawk, leather jacket with the spikes, like, oh, this ought to be fun. Of course, everyone's British. I think Dan Buster's a British studio, so it kind of makes sense, even though the game takes place in L.A., so why the fuck is everyone in L.A. British? Oh, well, I don't, doesn't matter, not important, but everyone's like, oh, this ought to be fun, grabs a fucking pipe and whacks a zombie, and then some chick with a fucking motorcycle helmet, it's like, you mind if I join in on the fun? And, like, everyone jumps on an airplane, and the airplane's crashing, like, this is not good, and a fucking zombie bites someone in the arm, and they're like, ugh, did this zombie really just bite me? It's like, that kind of really stupid, like, fake punk rock, California, modern gaming, AAA, we don't really understand our audience kind of tone, that, like, that's just, like, you know, whatever, like, you deal, you deal with it. If you play video games, you know what I'm talking about. So many fucking video games can't help themselves but try and do this weird portrayal of, of humanity, even though no one in the world is actually like this. And it's cringy. Like, you, you see the opening cutscene, you're like, what the fuck is even happening? Um, but as soon as the opening cutscene is, is done, the game is immediately just pure fun. Like, the plane crashes, you pick your character, you say, I want to play as this dumbass, and then you just go smacking the shit out of zombies and running around Hollywood, and it's... It's great. The visuals are good. Graphics are good. The death animations and gore and everything just phenomenal. Uh, Dead Island 2. For Game Pass, highly, highly recommend. This is a really fun, fun game. So that's Dead Island 2. I'll continue to work through that. Three hours in, I, I don't know. I see this being one of those games I just beeline straight through the main story stuff. I don't touch any side stuff. I don't give a shit about full full combos or all the achievements or anything, whatever. I'll play through all 15 hours of the main quest and then just move on with my life, but it will be, it'll be fun. It's a fun game. Last night I, I killed a zombie bride and she was, it was a boss battle and it was fucking awesome. Uh, all right. Wasteland three. This is the game I'm most enthusiastic about that. I've been playing. Um, I don't know what happened. I played this game when it first came out in 2020 this was 2020, right? Yeah, this was 2020 because I remember it was like one of the very last notable Xbox One games that came out um, before Xbox Series X hit hit the market. So I definitely remember giving this game a try at launch in the Game Pass because, of course, it is developed by Exile, who were acquired by Microsoft uh, back in 2018. And so this is a pretty notable game because Wasteland 3, Wasteland, the, the spiritual successor franchise to Fallout, uh, design, created by um, Brian Fargo, the, the father of Fallout, and uh, you know, in that weird history of like PC CRPGs, Fallout, Wasteland, Bethesda, Bethesda eventually got Fallout, went to make Elder Scrolls and and Fallout and create the more mainstream games that we know. And so there's a lot of like PC old school Windows gaming CRPG Western style RPG style Bethesda history with all this stuff, and I've always been very curious about all that with In Exile and Bethesda and um, uh, was Interplay the original te team that made Fallout in in the first Wasteland, um, and so I'm, I've always just been really really interested about these games, these franchises, these creators, and the history of all this, but. These games have just never spoken to me. And when Wasteland 3 came out, I remember like everyone's like, holy fuck, this game is so good. You know, it's one of those things where like gamers or fans of this genre were really high on it, but the masses didn't really give a shit about it. And I wanted so badly to try and appreciate and understand this game. Played it for a little bit and was like, nah, fuck that game. Um, but earlier this week, I was just anticipating the arrival of my Logitech G Cloud. And I was like, just 
playing around on my phone trying to figure out like well what's a game i might want to play on the logitech g cloud assuming that i wanted to try and play like rpg style games on it for sure so i was thinking about like japanese role-playing games or you know finishing my yakuza game so i was like maybe i'll do yakuza 4 maybe i'll do I don't know, maybe I'll do like Tales of Arise that just came to Game Pass. Um, so I'm like looking around at games and then I'm like, all right, what about Wasteland 3? And I was like just taking a, like a 30 minute break at work and I was like, it says this game is good with touch controls. Let me just boot it up on my phone real quick and just see what happens. I don't know why. It was just like a, like I'm trying to kill 30 minutes of my life moment. And for some reason within like 20 minutes, it just clicked with me. It's like, I don't know that I like this game, but I feel a sudden random urge to stick with it for a little bit, just play it. And then I went home and I played it some more. I'm like, fuck, I think, I think I like wasteland three. And then when my, when the Logitech G cloud came in the mail the other day, I'm like, this is, this is the game I want to play on this thing for sure. This is the perfect handheld game. And so I've been streaming it on that. And dude, I really like wasteland three. It's perfect textbook example of one of those games where it's like, this is a good game. I'm not in the right headspace to play it. And, you know, I, I definitely had that with the Ascent. I remember the Ascent came to Game Pass, came out and released day one into Game Pass like two years ago. And I was on this podcast constantly hyping up how, how good that game looked and all this stuff. And then when it came out, I remember streaming it a couple of times on Twitch and then being like, nah. But it, I, I know in the back of my head, it's not that the game wasn't good. It's that I just it wasn't the time or place to play it. And I, I guess I didn't realize this, but Wasteland 3, there's something about these fucking Western style RPG games where like, when I was a kid, I couldn't handle this stuff, and now as I as I grow up, it's starting to it's starting to sink its sink its claws into me a little bit. Where, you know, a few years ago, I was making fun of Elder Scrolls. I don't give a shit about these nerdy ass knights and elves games, and then I finally played Elder Scrolls Oblivion a few years ago, and now that's 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 one of my favorite games I played in recent history. It's just such a great game. And then last year, I was very much optimistic about Starfield with my love of sci-fi and all that. And that game was my favorite game last year. It blew me away. I love Starfield. And, you know, going to something like Wasteland is a little more hardcore. It's the top-down, isometric perspective. It's got more of a tactical, kind of older school or more nerdy-associated kind of RPG mechanic combat system. Like, I don't know that this is going to do it for me. I don't know that Wasteland's really going to be my thing. And so that was such a natural turnoff. Plus, I mean, these, these are like 40-hour-long games, and I, I fucking loathe any, any game that's longer than like 15, 20 hours. So... I don't know. Historically, there's no reason why a game like this should ever work for me, but I don't know. It clicked. It fucking worked. I, I started playing and I guess like in a world where I now have a newfound appreciation for more gateway drug style Western RPGs, you know, like when Wasteland 3 came out originally, I hadn't fallen in love with Skyrim yet. I hadn't played Starfield yet um, or Fallout 76 or any of these games I, I've grown to like in the past two years or so. But now going back and giving Wasteland 3 another try with that experience under my belt, with the with my appreciation for Starfield and some of the other Fallout games and, and Elder Scrolls and stuff, I go to this. I'm like, you know what this is? This is just like the 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 insane world building and character choice and customization and and character interaction with these really well developed NPCs that you get in these Bethesda games, but in a different, more traditional style CRPG style game. And and that's immediately what clicked with me this time with Wasteland Three. It was like the combat is a little daunting at first glance, but when you give it a couple minutes, you're like, oh, this is actually pretty straightforward. It's like, 
all right, a little tactical style combat game, but like you get to control all your characters at once. And then it's not like that fucking annoying JRPG thing where it's like one of my characters attacks. Then I wait for the other character to attack. Then a second character of mine attacks. Then I wait for the enemy's second character to attack. It's not that kind of like back and forth bullshit. It's like I control all my characters at once. I select all their abilities and all their moves and everything. And I do all that. And it's fun because I'm engaged and the controls in my hand. And then we pass over the enemies, but the enemies already pre-selected everything and they do their shit. It takes two seconds and then it's right back to me and I get to control what I do again. So it's like, even though it's not necessarily like action oriented, like I'm not like hitting the slash button and jumping around and doing combos and shit it feels very active and very engaging and very like in the moment when you're playing as far as combat is concerned. So that's really compelling. And, 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 you know, the, the art style is so striking and the, in the, I don't know, the environment is so like compelling. And I love this, like kind of slightly toned down fallout wasteland style aesthetic. The game has this, like this kind of like post-apocalyptic Colorado setting is super fucking cool. And I don't know, just everything about this game is kind of clicking for me. So I just, I don't know. I I think the, the main thing I want to say about this, because, you know, I'm only a couple hours in and I got a long ways to go to really see all that this game has to offer. It's that I'm just noticing a huge shift, a huge opening and expansion, broadening of my horizons with gaming, which is great. I love that. I love being less ignorant and more experienced with more things and, 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 and liking more things as opposed to just staying stuck in my ways. Like, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited and stoked about all those aspects of this, but it's just really weird because I, I guess like in a way what I, what I'm experiencing here with games, it's like a, it's like that moment where like a, a child starts to grow up and realize like, Hey, vegetables actually are pretty fucking good. And you know, it's like, I don't know, like what, what happens at some point where like a 12 year old tries broccoli for like the hundredth time in their life. And they're just like, Oh wait, I like broccoli now. And then you start to wonder, it's like, do do I like asparagus? Do I like kale? Do I like do I like collard green collard greens? Do I like what what you know what what else do I like? I don't I don't the whole what's gonna happen now? And I'm starting to wonder about that stuff because I'm just like, what would I enjoy Pillars of Eternity? I mean, normally I would laugh at the Knights and Elves shit, but like I'm excited about Avowed, and that's in the Pillars of Eternity universe, and I loved Skyrim and like I don't know, maybe it's if I liked Wasteland 3, maybe I'll like Pillars of Eternity. I'm like should I go play XCOM? That's more of a tactical game. I need to play Gears Tactics. I still haven't played Gears Tactics. But Wasteland's more of a CRPG. Uh, but it has, like, tactics combat influence. Speaking of CRPGs, I just spent, like, the past 12 months podcasting, laughing and bitching and complaining about Baldur's Gate and being overrated and why are people so obsessed with this game. And that's a huge, hugely popular CRPG that just came out. I wouldn't like Baldur's Gate. What I I'm pretty sure I wouldn't like Baldur's Gate. I don't know. Do I need to go give Baldur's Gate three a try? Like what? It's like opening all these because this is you know when we talk about CRPGs and tactical games and isometric, historically PC based Western RPGs. Like this is really foreign territory for me. You listen. You want to talk about Japanese developed character platformers? I can talk your fucking ear off about a blue hedgehog that goes a little too fast. No problem. You want to talk about? Uh, immutable, you know, freaking, uh, static war machine, first person shooter, uh, guys in green armor and shit like that. No, no problem. I'm your guy, but this is all like really new uncharted territory for me. So it's like, man, I'm, I'm like really digging wasteland and like, I don't what, what's going on. Like, I, I still need to get back and play fallout new Vegas. I still haven't played that game. And like, now I'm wondering about pillars of attorney. It's like, should I go back and try the old fallout games? And it, it's, it's a scary world out there. You know, it's new, it's scary. It's different. 
but change is good, but change is uncomfortable and it's good to be uncomfortable and it's good for things to change. But I don't know, man, I'm just a, I'm just a boomer trying to accept the new world. Okay. All these new terms, all these new types of games. I was originally planning on using the G cloud to play, um, Yakuza four, and then maybe go replay the, uh, original gears of war trilogy. Cause I've just been having a, an itch to go back and replay those games. But, um, here I am, man, I'm playing, I'm playing Wasteland 3, so we'll see how we'll see how long this lasts. I'm just really enjoying it right now. I'm hoping it's something like I have no problem sticking through with and playing all 40 hours of the main quest line. And you know, hopefully this is uh, the beginning of a more experienced and open-minded Jesse who looks at isometric top-down RPG style games and goes, "Ooh, what a compelling product to engage with," and maybe. Maybe I won't just look for blue hedgehogs with uh, troubled pasts, and I'll also like to play around the dungeon-crawling Knights and Elves-style fucking nerdy-ass dice-rolling games as well. Who knows? But Wasteland 3, fucking loving this game. Can't wait to see more of it. Dead Island 2, it's dumb fun. If you played a game even remotely like this, you know exactly what it is, but doesn't mean it's not a good time. And uh, that's it for what I've been playing. You guys, Logitech G Cloud, thumbs up. Nintendo Switch... Ready for that new model? Let's see. Let's see what it. Is. We'll see what they got in store for us. All right, that's it for everything uh, at the top of the show, you guys. I think it's uh, you know, held it off long enough. It's been over an hour, so let's take a quick break here, and then we'll move into the main news segments. All right, and we're back. Hey guys, it's been a little bit longer of a break than anticipated. A lot of news just broke uh, between the first part and the second part of the podcast, so we have a lot of. Getting back to this EA game story, everything going on with Marcus Leto and with uh, Ripple Effect and with the Battlefield franchise and Ridgeline games. So we'll get into all that starting now, along with some news regarding PlayStation as well, because as mentioned at the top of the show, I think this will just be pertinent to the broader story of what's going on here. So let's just start with the Sony thing, because we can get that out in like an excerpt or two and then jump into all of that, this EA news, and then try to talk about this all together as one. So starting off with Sony... From VGC, PlayStation is set to lay off around 900 employees worldwide. The news was confirmed in a statement by current Sony Entertainment, uh, sorry, Sony Interactive Entertainment president and CEO Jim Ryan, who is set to leave in the next month or so, who said that the company had made the extremely hard decision to reduce the overall headcount by about 8% or 900 people, which is, as a side note, interesting because Microsoft said they were reducing their headcount by like, what, 9, 10%? They said 9%, it was 1,900 people for Xbox, so... That means by that logic that Xbox has roughly double the amount of employees as PlayStation, which is just ridiculous considering they do way less business. Uh, so think about that for sustainability while we continue on reading. The layoffs will include the entire closure of the PlayStation London studio. A separate statement from Sony Interactive Entertainment also confirmed that Insomniac Games, Naughty Dog, and Gorilla, Insomniac Think Spider-Man, Ratchet and Clank, Naughty Dog, think Uncharted, Last of Us, Gorilla, think Horizon, Killzone, things like that. And PlayStation's technology, creative team, and support teams will all be impacted by a reduction in workforce, meaning there will be layoffs at all of these teams. So Sony London Studio, shut down no more. Those were, hey guys, if you're an Xbox fan, you gotta pay some respect to Sony London because those are the guys behind the iToy and all the iToy games and stuff. Like, I mean, iToy, pretty big part of PlayStation 2 history definitely a huge influence on what would become the Xbox Connect and the Xbox 360 onto the Xbox One generation. So that's a pretty big one, I, I think. I feel like that that deserves... I mean, with any studio closure, you want to 
show a lot of respect and, and, and concern for, you know, the people affected by that. But that's a big part of gaming history right there. iToy, don't forget about iToy. That shit was fun. If you didn't go to a Walmart and play with that demo iToy at the little kiosk in the gaming aisle, were you even a real early 2000s kid? Anyway, let's not make light of this situation. So that's the gist of the Sony thing. We don't need to get into it too in-depth because, after all, this is an Xbox podcast. But I just want to put that out there because Sony, no doubt, one of the absolute biggest players in the space. Even they're facing this, and especially they're facing this, and for reasons we'll talk about in a minute. But let's just put a pin in that for a second and then dive into this deluge of EA bullshit we have to get through. So EA, we got three big stories all related to layoffs, studios, closures, and, and, and cancellations. So let's just start from the top with the big part. Again, from VGC, Electronic Arts have announced a restructuring plan that will see the layoff of approximately 5% of their global workforce. The, co- uh, the company employs 13,400 staff as of March 2023, according to its most recent annual filings with the U.S. SEC, uh, meaning that it could be cutting about 670 jobs or so. EA CEO Andrew Wilson said in a letter to employees, quote, given how we uh, how and where we are working, we are continuing to optimize our global real estate footprint and best support our business. We are sunsetting games and moving away from development of future licensed IP that we do not believe will be successful in our changing industry. At first I read that and I was like, oh, they're getting away from like licensing IP for video games. That's great. That means fewer Star Wars games. That means fewer Marvel type games and maybe more original stuff. Maybe they'll do a new Dead Space game. Maybe they'll come up with a new IP. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, that's not what that means. And we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, he continues on and says, quote, this greater focus will allow us to drive creativity, accelerate innovation and double down on our biggest opportunities, including our own IP, sports, and massive online communities to deliver the entertainment players want today and tomorrow. Lastly, we are streamlining our company operating a, uh, to operations to delve deeper, more connected experiences for fans everywhere that the commu- uh, anywhere that build community, shape culture, and grow fandom. Wilson says that the layoffs, while not every team will be impacted, uh, that this is the hardest part of the changes and that we have deeply considered every option to try and limit impacts on our teams. Quote, our primary goal is to provide team members with opportunities to find new roles and paths to transition onto other projects. So maybe they're not outright leaving EA. Where that's not possible, we will support and work with each colleague uh, with the utmost attention, care, and respect. Communication, sorry, communicating these impacts has already begun and we will largely be completing by early next quarter so at least you know it's not like everyone's getting laid off today and they're not going to try to you know even if this is just lip service hopefully it's not lip service it just sounds like they're trying to do more than when uh when when microsoft laid off a bunch of people at xbox and they were like we'll we'll follow state and local regulations when considering severance benefits it's like what the fuck are you talking about anyway ea said that actions associated with the restructuring plan are expected to be substantially complete by the end of this calendar year so if you work for EA, enjoy a roughly one calendar year of, of layoffs and uh, consolidation and nonsense and hysteria and fear of losing your job. All right, part two of this EA fiasco. Following the devastating news, EA has closed Ridgeline Games, the studio formed in 2021, to work on future Battlefield single-player games. Now, if this sounds familiar, it's because we just talked about this shit 30 minutes ago with the mildly amusing stories. Yes, we have gone from... Marcus Leto has left Ridgeline Games to Ridgeline Games has been shuttered. The Seattle-based studio was established in late 2021 and has been staffing up for its debut project, which was described as a narrative campaign in the Battlefield universe. As noted earlier on the show, uh, it was later confirmed that the studio's uh, co-founder, 
or sorry, the studio's founder, or yeah, co-founder uh, and Halo co-creator Marcus Leto had departed the company, uh, and he later expounded on X by saying this is for personal reasons. Uh, Leto reacted on to the news this uh, earlier today on Wednesday, as the time we're recording this, suggesting he was unaware of the plans to close Ridgeline. Um, so he left the studio for personal reasons, allegedly, and uh, and then they decided to close the studio. So no telling, you know, if everything Marcus Leto is saying is is, is, is to be 100% believed as truth and there's no reason why we shouldn't believe it, then this is this is to say that his departure may have influenced EA to close this team or or maybe they were going to do it anyway and he just got out right before the, the bad news hit. Uh, in a statement published on Wednesday, EA Entertainment President Laura Miele Miel, confirmed that Ridgeline would now be winding down. Some of the staff was moving over to LA-based Ripple Effect, the executive claimed, which is working on future multiplayer experiences for Battlefield. Criterion Games, the studio behind the recent Need for Speed series, uh, or the, sorry, the ne- recent Need for Speed games, Need for Speed is not a recent series, but they have made more recent entries. Uh, they will now be overseeing Battlefield's next single-player project. So, I love this. Don't you just love the wasted money and time and, and just the absolute nonsensical bullshit that, that's happened here where <laughs> we're basically back to square one where you got like the same teams that were working on Battlefield just back to square one. Anyway, she says, quote, Our vision for Battlefield is ambitious and exciting. The project is making meaningful progress thanks to our strong leadership of Vince Ampella and Byron Beatty uh, and dedicated studios committed to building a Battlefield platform that we all love. Today, we have the largest Battlefield team in the franchise history with passionate people across the globe and the studios organized to benefit both franchise and local leadership. Marcus Leto recently made the personal decision to leave the project and to ensure that work continues uninterrupted. We immediately appointed a leadership at Criterion to oversee the single player work. As part of this change, we'll be winding down Ridgeline as a standalone studio in Seattle with some team members joining Ripple Effect. They'll be continuing to work with teams across DICE, Ripple, Criterion as they build the next Battlefield experience. So maybe maybe we take a little stop here because the next part is uh, is a different little turn. So let, let's just stop for a second and talk about this. So just to follow up on what we were talking about before. So Battlefield, a series created and shepherded by DICE, will continue to be you know created and worked on by DICE. But also you got Criterion, who's been doing support work and additional work on Battlefield for a while now. And then you got Ripple Effect, which is the Vince Zampella led team that is that that was started in 2021 I think as well around the same time as as Ridgeline um to oversee kind of the shepherd the 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 future of the Battlefield series as pertains to multiplayer experiences so you know Vince Zampella did such a great job with Activision on Call of Duty back in the day with Infinity Ward, and then he left, went to EA, formed Respawn, made Titanfall and the Star Wars Jedi games and Apex Legends, and made a really good name for himself there, and then EA said, hey, we're going to move you to a broader role where you're going to oversee a couple of different studios, and they formed a new team with that announcement, Ripple Effect, who are in charge of Battlefield, and so now Battlefield was... You got this team overseeing it, led by Vince Ampella, former Apex Legends, Respawn Entertainment, Call of Duty guy. And he's their their focus on multiplayer in particular. He's overseeing the franchise in a big way. You got Dice still there, uh, at, you know, at the forefront of the franchise, and then support work from teams like Cr- Criterion. And then they formed Ridgeline with Marcus Leto, co-creator of Halo, to basically be the same thing Ripple Effect is, but for the campaign aspect of the franchise and less so the multiplayer stuff and now that's been shuttered completely and they've basically gone okay well hey criterion you're good at just being thrown projects 
you deal with it. I love it because very much Criterion seems to be to EA what like Toys for Bob or Raven Software is to uh, Activision and Call of Duty, where it's just like, hey, remember those kids games you made? Fuck you. Now you're making a race game. Fuck you. Now you're making Battlefield. Fuck you. Your support work. Um, where it's just like, what, what do you, what even is this studio if not just like your bitch? It's like wherever you need them, you throw them at that project and that's what they do. Um, so that's not good. And I love how they're just talking about this. Like the future single player content for the battlefield franchise is underway and developments in full swing and things are moving along. Well, it's like, yeah, things are moving along so well that the head of your campaign stuff left and, and you shut down the team responsible for that stuff. So can't be going that well. So that's pretty fucking awful uh so yeah battlefield trucking along like i said earlier in the show i expected this would probably be the year where we see a reveal for the next battlefield game i don't know that i feel too bullish about that anymore maybe uh, that's a year or two off um but who knows maybe ridgeline was working in a smaller more xbox the initiative style capacity where it is a smaller team led more of like people directing and, and coming up with ideas and then using the the grunt developer talent like you know boots on the ground talent uh of 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 other studios to kind of make make the game you know where maybe ridgeline was more of the team that was like coming up with the ideas uh building like base mechanics and and stuff like that and then you get the support from a a studio like criterion to do the actual coding level designing and putting together the project and, and and forming and shaping the vision that Ridgeline put together. So if that's the case, then then maybe they have enough to work on that. They are full, full steam ahead on a, on a new battlefield campaign, but I don't know. I just find it kind of hard to believe things are trucking along swellingly when uh, Marcus Leto just left. And then the studio days later got shuttered. So I don't know. That just sounds a little weird. So yeah, that's, that's terrible for battlefield and more importantly, terrible for those whose jobs have been affected, who are being shaken around and, and moved to different teams. And more importantly, those who have been, been let go altogether. Uh, but it, it gets bad. It's, it stays bad. I don't know if that I would say this is worse, but this is bad. Uh, cause this isn't a studio closure. This is just a game cancellation. Well, the last bit of news here, I won't, I won't tease any longer. EA have officially canceled an in development star Wars first person shooter. That's uh, in development over at Respawn Entertainment. Announced back in 2022, the FPS game was being helmed by former LucasArts veteran and Medal of Honor co-creator Peter Hirschman, who previously worked on the original Battlefront games, The Force Unleashed, and more. So, you know, a guy who's just worked on some really badass Star Wars games. EA Entertainment president Laura Mule uh, also said that after review, it had decided Respawn should focus on the Star Wars Jedi series and the Apex Legends series. Quote, Respawn's unique ability to connect with players and create exceptional game experiences is unrivaled in entertainment. She said in a statement, continuing on, As we look forward at Respawn's portfolio over the last few months, what's clear is that the games our players are most excited about are Jedi and Respawn's rich library of owned games. This is doggy poo-poo PR bullshit. Ignore that statement. It means nothing. It gives us nothing to go off of. Uh, continuing on, knowing this, we have decided to pivot away from the development of our Star Wars first-person shooter action game to focus on our efforts on to focus our efforts on a new project based on our owned brands while providing support for existing games. Listen, if that means like, hey, we're making Titanfall three, or we got a brand new IP in the works, or something like that, cool, badass, that's awesome. But this isn't your own ex- your own IP. This is. We want more Star Wars Jedi because it's safe and it sells a lot. That's, that's I think, the only way to read that. Um, although it's weird because Stig, before he left Respawn, made it pretty clear that uh, he had visioned these games as a, as a trilogy. And then the actor that plays, uh, I, I don't know why his name is, Cal Kestis, uh, the main character of Star Wars Jedi, said 
at a convention like last year, like, hey, I'm working on the third game of a trilogy of the Star Wars Jedi game. So it seems like a weird idea to cancel your Star Wars FPS when you're in development of your third and final Star Wars Jedi game, which would free you up to do a new game altogether. So that's weird. But anyway, Laura Amelia says uh, in her final quote here, it's always hard to walk away from a project. And this is, this decision does not reflect the team's talent, tenacity, or passion they have for the game. Giving fans the next installment of the iconic franchises they want is the definition of blockbuster storytelling and the right place for us to put our focus. That's all great and fine. And again, if you're going to go work on something new and not more Star Wars games, which is breaks my heart to think that Respawn is just becoming the Star Wars developer. Hey, that's fucking great news, but I don't know, man. Like, I think everyone was a little excited for this Star Wars FPS because, it, it you know, the rumors were suggesting it was maybe going to be a Mandalorian-style game and it was going to have a lot of Titanfall-inspired mechanics with long sliding and maybe wall running and some crazy shit like that. So I was kind of okay with the Mandalorian first-person shooter if it meant it at least felt kind of like a Titanfall game. But no, I guess we're just going to get more fucking 3D or third-person um, Dark Souls soft core the uh, fucking adventure games, uh, which, you know, no disrespect. I played the first Star Wars Jedi. It was, it was totally decent. It was, I mean, it's pretty good. Um, it's just, I don't know. It's like, ah, is that really what we want from Respawn? <laughs> Even if they are really good at making these games, it's like, is that really what you want from Respawn? Okay, whatever. So Star Wars first person shooter canceled. Can't say I'm too heartbroken over that, but I do feel for the people who have put their blood, sweat and tears into this game in recent years. And now the things just gone. Uh, Ridgeline games, shuttered battlefield's future uh i'm sure it will be fine in the long run but god it sucks that uh this vision they had for the franchise going forward is completely in shambles now and now we have to you know recollect and figure out what the fuck's going on with battlefield and then the biggest thing at large here tons of people just lost their fucking jobs there it is Microsoft did their big one. Seems like everything with Embracer Group is just falling apart. Xbox had mass layoffs. Sony just had mass layoffs. Activision had layoffs. EA just had layoffs. Everyone's having layoffs. Um, so it's 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 a bad time here in the games industry. It's something we have just been talking about, unfortunately, nonstop this year and a lot last year, but just got it's amped up so much in the past two months, hasn't it? And I guess this is the time where we just have to have the conversation about what is good going on I, I i this is this is one of the few topics in gaming where i do consume a lot of people's takes on it generally i try to not you know I, there are a couple of things with video game related news and commentary that i can't help myself because i've just been such a big follower of this podcast or that youtuber for so long i'm just gonna watch their stuff from time to time but generally i try to stay away from too many influencers and, and content creators and their opinions on things because i kind of want to be able to formulate my own thoughts and feelings on this stuff so I can have my own perspective to share on this podcast. But this is one topic where I haven't been able to help myself because I am just pretty fucking curious about what is going on that, that all these mass layoffs are happening where gaming is doing better than ever when it comes to revenue, when it comes to player engagement, when it comes to the number of players uh, engaging in video games, whether it's Xbox, PlayStation, Steam, doesn't none of that shit matters. In general, just the number of people buying video game hardware, playing video games, engaging in video games, spending money on video games, whether that be buying games, subscribing to services, or in-app purchase, whatever the fuck it is. So much time, money, and attention is being given from the players to the product. So what the fuck gives that everyone's getting laid off and shit's getting bad? Obviously, the economy's bad. Obviously, inflation's bad. 
Obviously, the government, in, at least here in the U.S., the government likes to lie through their fucking teeth and constantly tell you the economy is great when it's really fucking terrible. And everyone's really insecure about their jobs. Security prices are fucking ridiculous. Everything kind of sucks. Nothing is affordable. No one can buy a house. No one can buy shit. No one can do really anything. It's, it fucking sucks. You know, if you're like a working class American with like a child, God forbid, you have a family, you're fucked. It sucks. So I get I get that angle. Now, I'm not trying to get political, but I'm just saying like from that perspective, I get it. Like things are getting tough and therefore it's probably getting tougher on some of these businesses. But that on its own doesn't add up when player engagement is at an all time high. The sale of video games is at an all time high. People are subscribing, in-app purchasing, buying, engaging with video games on such a fucking record-breaking level that it's like, where is the disconnect that everyone's got to downsize by roughly 10% of their of their staff? What is happening? And it's like one of those things where I'm such an armchair, I'm such a fucking Luddite, like I don't actually know shit. I work in middle management, like I'm an absolute nobody with access to the internet, and that's the only reason this podcast exists, so like... I shouldn't know these things. I shouldn't be able to call these things out, which is why I'm generally so hesitant to be like, I guess the suits that run these companies are just fucking idiots. Like, I guess they're all just really that stupid because it's like, that's kind of oversimplifying it and not thinking critically and just kind of being lazy about it by being like, yeah, I mean, I guess the reason why all these teams are having layoffs is because people don't know how to operate these businesses and now these these companies are bloated and games are too expensive to make and yada 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 and now we just got to lay some people off to kind of hemorrhage the bleeding or you know stop the stop the bleeding but like is 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 that is it that simple is it that the the executives and and the fucking the C-suite people that make these decisions and and decide to ramp up production here and invest in that and hire up there and and and, and do all the things they do it's like are they just all that absurdly and incredibly inept that that's that's where we are. It's just that they've just been so flippant with money spent, and with development and with hiring and all these things. And I I I I guess what I'm I'm getting at is like I don't fucking know because I'm trying so hard to find like the real empirical evidence that shows what's actually going on, but it it just seems like all signs point to a couple of years ago there was a global pandemic. If you are a normal functioning human being, you understood. Shit's kind of funky right now for the next year, two years, maybe three years. But eventually at some point, no one knows for sure, but at some point, shit's going to go back to normal, right? Like that's kind of like, I don't know, like even when things were really bad in 2020 and like everyone had to wear a mask and people were divided and treating people like shit and people were like fucking working from home and some people lost their jobs and things were bad and grandma was dying. Even like when that we were in the thick of that and that was reality for a lot of people, it's like... Didn't we all kind of wasn't it maybe wasn't talked about constantly, but wasn't there like a universal understanding and acceptance that like this is a temporary thing? Maybe it's, you know, longer than we want it to be, but it's temporary nonetheless. And so I just think about all the companies that say, oh, we're fully remote now. And now we got to staff up because going fully remote uh, made created a need for so many more job positions. And now we, you know, even though we have 99 year leases on these giant buildings where we fucking make video games, we're still staffing up to be fully remote. And, uh, oh, would you look at that? Nintendo Switches, PlayStation 4s and PlayStation 5s when they came out and Xbox Ones and Xbox Series consoles when they came out in 2020. Oh, they're just selling like crazy. And, you know, remember the beginning of the pandemic? Every every fucking news story was like, 
isn't this just cute? Like, I swear, every fucking story during the pandemic was like, Grandma's dead, Grandma's dead, tr- Donald Trump this, Nintendo Switch sold out. Can't buy Nintendo Switch. Nintendo Switch and Animal Crossing sold out, question mark? Like, that was the news for a long time. And it's like, yeah, but did it, wasn't it just kind of understood among everyone? It was like the, the quiet part that like we all just kind of implicitly knew was true, which is that this isn't going to be the reality of the, of life forever and always. Like, it's not going to be the simple fact that the Nintendo Switch will be impossible to buy for the rest of humanity. Unless you thought that the world was going to end in 2020, that a fucking meteor was going to hit at the same time that China launched the EMPs and everyone was going to get fucking SIDS and, and die at the age of 47 or some shit. Like, like I don't know. Like, what Didn't it just make sense to think that... At some point, your coworker who hasn't given a fuck about video games since he was in college, but just bought a PS4 during the pandemic because he was working from home, he was fucking bored and couldn't leave the house and thought, maybe I'll try Ghost of Tsushima. Like, did you, did it ever dawn on anyone that like, maybe that was just a phase and that we didn't need to ramp up hiring and that we didn't need to, and this is to go back to like the simple, you know, the simple solution to it or the simple explanation of it all which is like were the executives and the shareholders and the in the c-suites and all these motherfuckers and studio heads and 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 all these people were were they just so fucking stupid that they thought oh look at how well xbox is doing look at how well playstation is doing look how well our video games are doing activision's like look how great call of duty is doing you we all just thought these numbers this is totally normal it will always be like this so that is That's really the only logical conclusion I can draw, which is just that a lot of companies made a lot of investments and a lot of really stupid fucking assertions during the pandemic that the video game industry and entertainment and the way people consume media has forever changed due to what's going on very specifically right now. And we should make all these really expensive decisions while interest rates are low and people are stuck at home and we have a captive audience held hostage, essentially. We should make all these decisions to invest, build, Open studios, hire, consolidate, green light, whatever the fucking buzzword of the week is. Like, we just did all of these things with reckless abandon all throughout the early part of the pandemic. And now you fast forward to 2024 and, you know, even last year in 2023. And it's like, oh shit, interest rates are really high. Oh shit, all these corporations can't get out of these leases and now they need their employees to go back to the fucking office. Oh shit, people are able to go to concerts and bars and clubs and movie theaters and theme parks and all the other places. People are able to go look at the Eiffel Tower in person again. People are able to go fucking take a piss on on, on the, I don't know, what do people do for vacation? Take a piss on the Eiffel Tower. It's still the Eiffel Tower. They just want to pee on it. Like, I just, yeah, man, like, I don't know. Everyone listening to this podcast who is a hardcore gaming fan knows at least like, two, three, five, seven people, million people who they can think of when they're like, yeah, I know this guy who bought a Nintendo Switch, who bought a PlayStation 4, who bought an Xbox during the pandemic. And guess what? They don't fucking play their video games anymore because it was just a thing. And I'm sure there are some people who are like, yeah, I'm 35 years old and I used to play video games a lot when I was a kid. And then I stopped playing them because I met this woman and we got married. We started a family and I was invested in my career. And then the pandemic happened. And I picked up an Xbox and then I was like, oh yeah, I used to like this shit a lot. And I got Game Pass and I played Gears 4 and 5 and thought, wow, I remember loving these games when I was younger. And now they're kind of back into gaming. Sure, I am sure that happened to some people, but that is the exception and not the rule. And so 
we made all these investments in Battlefield. We made all these investments in PlayStation games. We made all these investments in Xbox. And we had all this cash on hand. And interest rates were going up. And we had to do something with it. So we bought Activision. And all this shit happened. And now the economy's been getting worse and worse and worse. And people are going back to the office. And people are going back to normalcy. And these companies are going, oh shit. Everything's expensive. Video games are really expensive to make. And we have a lot more people to pay for. Essentially because our personnel has gone up so much. And now everyone's just... Oops, my bad. You're fired, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired. And that's and I think it's so telling with Sony, and that the reason I include Sony, despite this being an Xbox podcast, is because I think so much of what's going on here, aside from that little aspect of it, is that companies like Sony in particular are so guilty of, and I and I want to say that lightly, kind of, because Sony has been, you know, Sony's first party teams have been inspiring and in 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 a source, a source of redefining and reigniting uh, so many developers and creators' understanding of what video games can be with these very cinematic, super high budget, excellent kind of um, uh, narrative-driven games. But like, what we're starting to see on top of the these studios are so bloated with personnel is like, yeah, it's not really feasible to just make a three hundred million dollar Spider-Man game in three years. Like, that's just not a wise thing to do with your money because even though more people are buying Spider-Man more, you know, than ever before. And even though more people are engaged with the new Spider-Man game than any previous Spider-Man game, the problem is the new Spider-Man game is just so damn expensive and required the development efforts of 8.6 trillion people around the globe. And Sony's going, Oh, the revenue is higher than ever before, but the profits, the profit margin, like the, the, the actual, profit you're making off the game when you when you subtract the revenue made from selling the game from the total amount of development and marketing costs you're going oh damn what we're left with is a lot smaller than what we're used to and we're seeing more and more of that all these companies like ea and ubisoft and everyone they want to license marvel and disney and star wars and basically just disney and everything disney has and spend all this exorbitant amount of money on getting ooh we have Black Panther, ooh we have Blade ooh we have Spider-Man, ooh we have Star Wars and we have other Star Wars and we have this version of Star Wars it's like that's great but that shit's expensive and if you're going to make a Star Wars game you're going to have to go all out, you have to make something pretty big pretty baller, pretty expensive and so what we get more of is super expensive games made by huge teams with big budgets that are way more than they need to be and I feel like this conversation is kind of more poignant than ever before because right now I'm having this little this little love obsession, falling in love with my very first CRPG ever in Wasteland 3. And I'm thinking about how, well, obviously in exile, developer in exile of, of Wasteland, you know, they're staffing up right now. They're becoming a bigger team. They are a team of like 60, 70 employees, and they're probably staffing up to like 150 right now, if I had to guess, at least. Because they're making Clock uh, Clockwork Revolution, their new, their new game that was announced last summer at Xbox's Showcase. And I'm really excited about that game, really optimistic about that game. But the reason I bring it up is because... That that game is the natural evolution of when a team gets money and access to resources. They staff up, they get big, their budget gets big, and their game gets more ambitious. And while I'm very excited for Clockwork Revolution, I don't regret the game it's shaping up to be based on what we know about and what we've seen. As someone who's finally playing Wasteland and finally getting into a studio like In Exile's backlog and understanding their history and what they've done before, I'm going, ah, oh, shit, you know what's really cool about a game like Wasteland 3? This game probably costs like twenty million dollars to make. I don't know. I, I'm stupid. I could be way off base. Maybe it's maybe it's fifty million dollars to make or something like that. But this game's 
fucking awesome. And it's just so it's so incredibly captivating. And I, I'm sucked into this game the way I was sucked into Skyrim or Starfield. It's like that level of just captivating single player RPG experience. And um, I'm just thinking it's like we've gotten so far away from this where we don't get games like this anymore. And it's not okay for the big game to be something small. I'm not saying everything has to be an isometric uh, top, you know, top down freaking CRPG. That's a little niche, right? You're not going to really sell all your coworkers on the new Spider-Man game. If he's a top down card based fucking, you know, RPG dating sim game, that's a little, it's a little niche. Maybe that's more for us hardcore gamers and not for the general public. But what I am saying is at the very least, there should be a happy middle, right? I'm playing a game like Wasteland. It costs a fraction of what a game like Starfield costs to develop, but it is captivating me in lighting up my imagination and engrossing me in a very similar way. Proving that great games can be way smaller in, in budget, way smaller in presentation. They don't have to, you know, and one of the things I love so much about Wasteland 3 as I'm playing is I, I love the little things it does that only video games can do where it's like you make a choice and like, yeah, the game doesn't have the budget to show this beautifully rendered 3D model have a, a crazy facial expression. So because it's this isometric top-down experience, it's like, oh, you press this option instead of that option. And instead of showing the character react to your your decision, it's like the character balls her fist. It's, you know, it's like Janice balls her fist and, 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 and strikes an evil glare. Uh, she looks at you and then reluctantly unballs her fists and points at the general store and says, that's where you'll find Jebediah. I'm just making shit up. But it's like that kind of stuff where it's like, I'm reading an adventure book, but I'm playing an RPG and it's choice based. And it's like, and this is in a way kind of charming and fun in a way that like only video games can be. And yeah, the last of us part two is pretty damn impressive when you're watching it because it's more like a movie and less like a video game. But there's something really special about a video game that's like, hey, this is what video games fucking are. Sometimes your imagination has to fill in the blank. Sometimes the budget doesn't allow for it to be so cinematic. But if you do it right and you know what you have and and, and all that, it can be just as immersion immersion full, immersive, goddamn, as as the more expensive, highly presentable one. The difference and and, and problem, of course, is that you know, it's way easier to market and to get the attention of many, many people when you got something flashy and big budget and cinematic like Spider-Man 2 or or Starfield or, you know, or God of War Ragnarok. And it's a lot harder to sell the, the masses on a game like Wasteland. But that's not always, you know, that's not always the case. Sometimes Baldur's Gate 3 happens, you know, and I get it. It's like, but Jesse, don't you understand? You're part of the problem. Wasteland 3 was out for three and a half years before you finally fucking played it. You played it when it came out and you immediately said, nah, this isn't for me and wrote it off because it wasn't some big flashy thing like Starfield. That's only kind of true, but yeah, you're right. And this is the conundrum is we got to find, we got to find the way to, you know, I'm not saying that the big super high budget game can't and shouldn't exist. And I'm not saying that everything needs to be super niche and nerdy like a fucking CRPG, but I'm saying maybe we can have more things like the nerdy CRPG. And I am saying we definitely need to have less of a reliance on the super high budget cinematic games and the super overly bloated, unnecessary games as a service style, kill the justice league type games. We definitely need to have less of an emphasis on that. And maybe just explore the spectrum in general. 
Like the thing I'm always saying that I love about Game Pass, despite the pros and cons of Game Pass, what it does or doesn't do to Xbox, how it does and doesn't affect the future of Xbox, uh, how it is and isn't good for the gaming industry at large. I can't know all those things and I don't know all those things. But what I do know is I love how Game Pass normalizes a spectrum of games from presentation to budget to price to types of experiences because when you're paying one flat fee and you get all the same shit included why not try close to the sun and starfield and halo infinite and pentiment and grounded and wasteland 3 which are all incredibly different games with incredibly different budgets and scopes and perspectives but they're all equally represented in the same catalog of games and so in a way services like game pass normalize a spectrum of budgets allowing for a healthier gaming environment where you can have the the, the smaller games the bigger games the more affordable games the more expensive games uh, and all in all the rest which is just way better and way healthier you can imagine that things would be a lot better if ea wasn't constantly chasing star wars games you can imagine things would be a lot better over at sony if every game didn't have to live up to the impossible fucking expectations set forth by the last of us you could imagine that Xbox wouldn't have had to lay off 2,000 people if they didn't acquire and consolidate the industry by buying fucking Activision for no goddamn reason. So there's a lot of obvious ways to point and say, hmm, that wasn't necessary. <laughs> and there's a lot of room for improvement. And, 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 and the thing is, with these layoffs, it doesn't just come like, a, okay, well, we'll just shake off some of the dead weight, tighten back up, and get right back to what we've been doing for the past 10 years. Like, no, this all with all these, you know, after the rain comes the rainbow. With all these layoffs inevitably comes a restructuring and a refocus on what kinds of games we're greenlighting, what kind of games we're developing, what kind of games we find to be viable. And this could be a good thing or a bad thing, but I suspect it's going to be ultimately a good thing where we are going to see fewer attempts at like, mm, here's another Destiny 2 clone. Mm, here's a free-to-play multiplayer experience that costs $200 million. Mm, here's another Last of Us ripoff. It's like, no, maybe now we can get a little bit of everything. You know, God forbid we get a 3D character platformer from someone other than Nintendo that or an indie developer. That'd be nice. You know, God forbid we just get a first-person shooter that's like a single-player first-person shooter. It's 10 hours long, but the game only costs like $90 million to make, and it's pretty good, and we move on with our lives after we play it, and we don't have to get the season pass. Like, God forbid we just have... I guess what I want is the is the Xbox 360 generation. It, 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 to me, it always comes back to that where I'm like that. We can agree like that's not rose tinted glasses nostalgia bullshit. Like it is, it is true, right? That the Xbox 360 just was the best generation, right? Like it was just so much healthier. Games had more reasonable budgets. Games were robust. Games were creative. Games were fun. You had lots of multiplayer, lots of single player, lots of low budget, lots of high budget. The double A space was still pretty alive and well. You had lots of licensed games, but they weren't so fucking self-serving and overly important that they had to be $8 trillion each. You know, a fucking course, you know, the Xbox 360 brought the advent of indie games. We had the, the Summer of Arcade, XBLA. I mean, fucking that's, those are the golden years for indie games. I mean, so all I'm asking is just reelect Barack Obama. Uh, put Shine Down back on the radio. Close your eyes and pretend it's 2008, baby. Okay, that's all I'm asking for. Lincoln Park's playing that What I've Done, and Transformers is in the movie theaters. That's 2007. You fucking idiot. But close enough. And guess what? 720p is the only uh, is is the is, is the nicest TV out there. So shut up about your HDR and your 4K and your OLEDs. You fucking nerds. So I don't know. 
I, I guess, um, as is always the case, I don't purport to be the guy with the, the, the answer to the problem. I'm just here to say, here's the problem as I see it. Here's probably a lot of reasons why we're experiencing this problem. And here's where I think we inevitably have to head as a result of needing to try and address this problem. And so I, I hope this means a healthier, more varied, more diverse future for the games industry. I mean, yeah. Dude, modern AAA games are so they're so incredibly they're so trend chasey, they're so over budget, they're so expensive and silly and, and in a lot of cases way too self important and then when they're not, they're so god they're so dead island too with the fucking purple hair and the British accents. It's like calm the fuck down, man. I just want to play Gears of War. Alright. That's it for what I've been eating. Some bullshit. Some bullshit news stories. Because these companies can't stop being stupid. Anyway, I think I should run video games. I should be the new CEO of gaming, but not just for Xbox, but for all of video games. I would bring back I would br- I would bring back Monkey Magic for the PlayStation 1 so goddamn fast. If you don't know what Monkey Magic is, look it up. The world's the worst place because we never got a sequel. All right, let's talk about something a little lighter, just a wrap-up story, talking about Circana and the um, best-selling games of January in the U.S. Some interesting data to glean onto here. So from VGC's, their, their write-up of the data... Modern Warfare 3 was the best-selling game in the United States in January, while the PlayStation 5 was once again the leading console in sales. Activision's latest Call of Duty game topped the software charts ahead of a new release. Tekken 8, Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, and Persona 3 were reloaded, while Madden NFL 24 rounded the top five. Now, you might be saying, Jesse, Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League came out February 2nd. How the fuck was it counted in January? Dumb, idiot, moron, idiot. Dummy. Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League was available three days early if you bought the special edition. And it would have made the game available on, what, January 31st or something like that? So, ha ha ha. In just one day on the market, Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League actually charted pretty decent. So that's good on them, honestly. Uh, yeah, nothing nothing to say about that other than good for them. I mean, it, it hit number three on the chart, so that's actually pretty... Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. This is December 30th through... February 3rd. So this is all of January with a, with a taste of December and February. So still that's basically just four days on the market with a uh, suicide squad, kill the justice league. Quite good. Ranked number three. That's actually surprisingly great. Um, so looks like the game had some decent initial sales. It's just about the, the tail. And I think the tail will prove to be quite weak on that game. Anyway, continuing on Power world wasn't tracked uh, because because Pocket Pair is not uh, doesn't have their data tracked, so Circana wasn't able to track how Pal World did. You could assume it'd probably be the best-selling game of the month um, if if it were tracked. Uh, but other notable games on here, Like a Dragon, Infinite Wealth at number seven, Prince of Persia: Lost Crown at number thirteen. Uh, so some some pretty some pretty good performance there. Um, after 39 months of availability, PlayStation 5 Life to Date sales um, are now tracking at 7% ahead of PS4 sales during the same time in its lifespan, and 68% ahead of PlayStation 3 sales from this point in its life cycle, which is just incredibly strong. Um, Nintendo Switch placed second in unit sales last month, but Xbox Series S and X ranked higher than Nintendo Switch in terms of dollar sales, and that's of course because Nintendo. Um, Switch is cheaper than Xbox Series X. Now, let's see if there's any other data I want to just mention real quick before we move on from this. Hogwarts Legacy still on there at number six. Uh, Spider-Man 2 still at number 10. And then Prince uh, or Avatar Frontiers of Pandora at number 12. No one talked about that game, but it seems like it did okay. Uh, Elden Ring still on this list at number 14. And then, of course, as always, both Minecraft and Mario Kart 8. These games will never, 
ever leave the the Circada sales data. So uh, Mario Kart was at 18 and Minecraft was at 17. So good for them. Um, so yeah, that's it for for the, the, the main, the bulk of the news. Uh, now it's time we move on from the main news and get into the important enough stories. These are stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions. Of which we got to start off with some video game layoffs of the week. I know we already talked about video game layoffs. Those were the big ones we had to mention in the main news. A couple of smaller ones we got to touch on here. From from Bloomberg, British video game maker Supermassive Games has informed 150 staff members that they are at risk of redundancy and will lay off roughly 90 of them in their latest uh, video game industry hit. I cannot believe that Supermassive has 150 staff for the work they do. That's actually kind of mind-blowing. Um, next up, Deck Nine, the studio behind the Life is Strange uh, entries before the storm in True Colors, as well as the Expanse, a Telltale series, has laid off 20% of its staff this week. So, of course, thoughts out to both teams affected by that. And then we move into the other stories of mild amusement or important enough news stories uh, where we go into Pal World, which has just reached a massive milestone. The game has been played by more than 25 million people since it launched. Now, that's important to say played by and not sold because Game Pass. According to Pocket Pairs Figures, that's the publisher, the game sold around 15 million copies uh, on Steam while the Xbox version, while the Xbox version has around 10 million players. So I don't know if that's a combination of Game Pass and copies sold or just Game Pass players, but that's a, quite an impressive number, especially for a console that has an attachment rate or that, that it only has about 22 million units sold. But actually, Power World is, a, is playable on Xbox One as well, I believe so. But you assume not not too many people are still playing on Xbox One. Sales figures haven't been specified for Xbox. While the game is available to buy on the Xbox Store, it's also available in Game Pass. So it's expected a significant number of the Xbox players are from Game Pass and not from the Xbox Store. Um, it's also safe to assume that a lot of people probably subscribe to Game Pass thanks to Pal World. So you're welcome, Xbox. As if I as if I represent Pal World in any way. Uh, next up, Electronic Arts confirmed that F124 will be released on May 31st. The next entry in the Codemaster Racing series will release on Xbox One, Xbox Series, and PC via the EA app, Epic Game Store, and Steam. So that's coming out in May. Uh, next up, Call of Duty Mobile Warzone will release worldwide on March 21st after like two years of teasing a release date. They never actually did it. They are, now we know. Officially revealed in September 2022, the iOS and Android games co-developed by Activision, Shanghai, Binox, Digital Legends, and Solid State Studios. So none of the core Call of Duty teams, but a lot of people who have a lot of experience with the product. Uh, next up, Remedy Entertainment has acquired full rights to the Control franchise from publisher 505 Games. In a transaction that could be worth up to $18.4 million US or 17 million euro, all rights to Control, Control 2, multiplayer spinoff codenamed Condor, and all future series entries will revert to this Finnish game developer. That's wonderful news. Remedy partnered with 505 Games in 2017 to publish the original Control, which was released two years later. Um, the next one will probably be released. What is 505 publishing the next control or is Epic? I actually need to look into that because I don't remember. Uh, but that's great news for, for Remedy. Congrats to them. And then lastly, and disappointingly, veteran Call of Duty Black Ops designer David Vonderhaar has established a new AAA game studios with Netties. Announced Tuesday, Bullet Farm is described as a remote-first company headquartered in L.A., California. Vonderhaar has worked on a total of eight Call of Duty installments with the original game back in 2003, announced starting with the original game back in 2003. Announced uh, When Vonderhaar announced his departure from Treyarch last summer, he was best known for his directing of the multiplayer modes for nearly all of the COD Studios' uh, entries. Joining Vonderhaar as the new studio's creative director is veteran game designer Chris Coel 
who previously worked on COD, including Modern Warfare 2019, Warzone, and Black Ops Cold War, baby. According to NetEase's announcement, Bullet Farm is developing a new ambitious AAA game built in Unreal Engine 5, set in an original universe with an emphasis on co-op cooperative gameplay, but it just cannot talk about Taiwan being a real country. It cannot criticize the Chinese government or say anything about Uyghur Muslims whatsoever. In fact, if it does, uh, members of Bullet Farm will be uh, disappeared. Uh, but hey, at least it's not Saudi Arabia where they may be beheaded. So you can at least thank your lucky stars for that. NetEase then went on to pull their pants down and shake their booty at the camera saying, LA remote studio so cheap because we don't have to pay for an office. Remote work is awesome. We will probably lay off half these people after they put out a game because that's just what you do. That is just what you do. That is just, I don't know why they say it three times. I think they're singing it. Uh, but that's the announcement. I don't know. That's how they chose to write it up. So don't blame me. But guys, that's going to do it for all of our news this week. But we're not done. Comments, the best part of the show. The comments, the shout outs. Come over from YouTube.com. You know how it works. Head on over to YouTube.com slash Xbox on podcast. That is at Xbox on podcast and YouTube.com. Click on the latest episode of the podcast and drop a comment. If you leave a comment on a different episode of the podcast or God forbid, one of those old cars, three videos I did in 2017. So help me God drop a comment on the latest episode of the podcast. And you can say anything nice, anything mean or anything in between just like flossing. It's good to get all angles. And, uh, four of you guys did write in this weekend, this weekend, this week. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your write-ins. Thank you for your participation. Thank you for listening. We start off with HD Hobbs. Remember, as we said last time, this is high definition Hobbs. So this is 4K, 120 FPS, 145 FPS. This is fucking nanobytes and HDR and Dolby Atmos. So this guy, watch out for this Hobbs. Like if you see him in person, you'll go, wow, you look a lot clearer and nicer than everyone else. Um, he says, while there weren't any large bills on my windshield this week, I do appreciate the sentiment. So sick of the other Xbox pundits, quote unquote. Saying things like, well, hell didn't freeze over or Xbox didn't stop making hardware this week. Like that is any, like that is what anyone thought would happen. Very glad you actually take a critical look at this stuff. Well, HD Hobbs, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I appreciate, appreciate you listening. Appreciate the shout out. And uh, I'm sorry to hear that you didn't find, what, what did I say it was? Like a $57 bill. This is like the first time someone has referenced something obscure I said on the podcast. And I actually vaguely remember saying it. So HD Hobbs, there's something about your high definition. It provides a clarity that others are unable to provide. So I appreciate that. I hope you have a wonderful week. And I hope, you know, if there aren't any large bills in your, win, in, in your on your windshield, when you exit the grocery store and head to your car, maybe think about all the places you could find a hundred dollar bill. Maybe it's in someone else's wallet and you just have to take it from them. It's not stealing if it belongs to you, right? Sam Frito, not to be confused with Sam Burrito, uh, writes in and says, Jesse, you are right. Xbox needs to stop wearing their underwear outside the outside the pants and I need to stop being on the fence about it. Ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly far enough. Thanks for being the voice of raising Matt, Mad Dog. I'm mad dog. I'm mad. I'm changing my gamer tag to mad dog. I'm sure someone already has that. Actually, I think someone in the Xbox community already has that name. Sam Frito. I hope you have had the new, uh, chicken crispinata empanada knockoff at Taco Bell, because I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. Thank you for listening. Hell divers. Let's talk about hell divers. Cronky writes in and says, hell divers two is such a nice return to fun, simple games. I hope this makes the beginning. I hope this marks the beginning of a shift in the industry. I really don't want five currencies and 30 game systems. I have to manage anymore. Yeah. And actually this kind of speaks nicely to what we were talking about in the main news segment where 
you know, maybe you look at like the juxtaposition of like Justice League killed the Suicide Squad. Uh, nope, kill Suicide Squad killed the Justice League. I beat the goddamn game. And I can't even say the name. You look at like Suicide Squad and the way that game kind of like came was a little pop and then kind of, and then you look at like Hell Divers and how. Sony didn't expect too much out of it, and then it blew up and became a huge, roaring success. And how, in this case, you know, audiences aren't so fucking stupid that they couldn't they couldn't tell the difference between a game that is just a, a shit ton of fun and just super, you know, super simplistic in its nature, but so complex in 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 the ways you can enjoy it and all the fun you can have in it. And it's just a pure joy. It's clearly a game that was created as a labor of love by love by the developers and not a and not a focused, tested, you know what kids want, you know what drives engagement. And this is this is literally a game that is just pure, hey, you know what would be a fun game that I would be passionate about making kind of game. And and, and everything about Helldivers 2 just that just fucking sings while you're playing it. You you really feel that. And so, hey, I agree. I hope I hope seeing roaring successes like Helldivers 2 and last year with with games like Baldur's Gate 3 that these bigger publishers are looking and they're saying, hey, these are games that didn't have monstrous budgets. These are games that would generally be considered kind of niche or kind of hardcore or kind of nerdy. Um, and, and maybe they're looking at this stuff and saying, we don't need to give Disney $8.6 trillion to get baby Grogu rendered in, rendered in 4K HD, high definition, the $28 bill on his windshield graphics. You know, maybe, maybe, just fucking maybe, people want really fun games that are fun to play on your video game console you bought so you could have fun after an excruciating day living as a goddamn human being. That'd be nice, so... I'm with you, man. More games like Helldivers 2. Helldivers 2 is pure fun. And I and I actually want to double down, triple down on what I said about Helldivers the first time I talked about it, following my, my first time playing it, which is that while the game has nothing to do with Left 4 Dead, it is not in any way, shape, or form a Left 4 Dead-esque game, Helldivers 2 scratches an itch that I have not had satisfied since I played Left 4 Dead 2. Because that is how goddamn hard and like turtle rock you guys in particular are big offenders of this how hard it has been for developers for publishers to just fucking make fun action pack simple easy to pick up difficult to master kind of multiplayer adventures with friends hell divers 2 is not about an epic story it's not about taking a fucking child halfway across the globe it's not about sweat and hair follicles being visible on a 4k tv it's not about reusing boat animations and assets and things like that hell divers 2 is about picking up some fucking guns grinding out some good gear teaming up with your buddies and shooting some fucking bugs and robots in the face and it is a blast just like left for dead was a blast i remember so distinctly there are certain games you know we all have memories of certain games where it's like I can remember so clearly the first time I played blank game. Left 4 Dead 1 is one of those games for me. Well, I will I will never forget exactly everything about the day. My brother took me to GameStop, and I was like, do I buy Call of Duty World at War, which I've played a bunch and I know I love, or do I take a chance on Left 4 Dead and buy Left 4 Dead? Uh, I don't know which one I'm going to do. I, I, and then I went with Left 4 Dead. I was like, I know I want to play this game. I know it's going to be awesome. I remember taking a chance on it, getting home from GameStop, popping that motherfucker in my Xbox 360, plugged up to my piece of shit CRT TV that looks so goddamn awful on my Xbox 360, and immediately being like, I have never played a game like this ever in my life. 
And this game is so fun. I remember being like, I can't immediately say that this game is like this or that. I've played games where it's first person. I've played games where it's about shooting, but I've never played a game that is like this. And I remember playing Left 4 Dead and feeling that and then convincing all my best friends at school to buy Left 4 Dead and then playing it for hundreds and hundreds of hours with all my friends over the course of a few years uh, between Left 4 Dead and Left 4 Dead 2 and just being like, God, there's nothing like this game. It is just so fun. It's so easy to pick up. It's so easy to just understand what it is but it is so special and you'll have so much fun playing it and you will have so many funny moments where it's like, oh my God, that just happened. Or, oh my God, you're such a fucking idiot. You went out there and this happened to you. And Helldivers 2 is that experience to a T where it's like, I know there are games that do this or that. And this game is kind of like this in that way and kind of like that in that way. But I've never played a game that is exactly what this is. And it is so easy to just pick it up, understand what it is, jump in and just fucking laugh your ass off with your friends and have a great time. And goddamn, is that that I don't know, to me, maybe I'm just maybe I'm just really nostalgic for like 2008 or something, but to me there's there's a there's a time and place for everything. Trust me, I want Gears 5 and God of War Ragnarok and all these kinds of games, but like man, it's hard to beat <laughs> that kind of experience of what a game like Helldivers 2 delivers. And it's just I unfortunately, we never get games like that. And every time you think you're going to get a game like that, you get fucking catfish. And I'm looking at you, Evolve, and I'm looking at you, uh, Back for Blood, and I'm looking at you, Back for Love, and I'm looking at you, Ride to Hell, Retribution. I don't know what I'm saying. Anyway, thank you for writing, Cronky. Please. Please. Just please. All right. Our other comment. <laughs> it says other. Headhunting Halo, where are you at? You got to round us out. Where are you at, buddy? Come on. Boo Boo Bean. Uh, our other comment, our last comment of the day, comes from Silverblack831, who writes in a game. Power World's legs. So this is in response to a conversation that's been ongoing. So at this point, this conversation is probably not even possible to follow. And in fact, I think at this point, this is just a comments conversation between me and, and, and this user. But I have made a decision to make this conversation public by continuously reading it on the podcast. But here we go. Yeah, Jesse, I wasn't making a value judgment on Hogwarts Legacy or on one-and-done campaigns last week. Just calling out the false pretense and using them to pro uh, project Power World's future. But I could agree with you. But I couldn't agree with you anymore um, as the overall state of gaming with microtransactions and seasons grabbing for as much money as they can and the release of unfinished games that aren't complete until 6 to 12 months of updates. However, I do personally prefer the combination we see in the 360 days. Oh my god, maybe this is a subconscious thing where I read your comment the other day when I was putting the show together, and then I read Kronky's comment, and then I started reminiscing, but I swear to god I forgot that this comment touches on this same conversation. However, I do personally prefer the combination we see in the Xbox 360 era. Games like Gears of War, Halo, Call of Duty, making great stories and great multiplayers. Uh, will we ever get back to complete games on launch without microtransactions rubbed in your face? Or are the gimmicks here to stay? I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the th I have a million ways I can take this. Let me just not think and just talk without thinking like I do best and just go in one direction. You know how, like, a company will... Uh, become a big company and a very successful company. And then one year they'll be like, we made 8.6 gajillion dollars and we it was our most successful fiscal year ever. We did so good. And then the next year that same company will be like, we're cutting back costs and we're uh, gonna piss on all of our fucking employees' grandchildren. Blah, fuck you. Because we want to make 8.9 trillion dollars this year because... 
corporations are just fucking sad and pathetic and evil. And the only point of anything ever in humanity is like more money because it's never not like I, I'd be a terrible businessman. I would be so fucking bad at running a company, but like, I don't know. I always stop and I'm like, isn't it kind of okay if like one year your company makes like a million dollars in profit and then the next year it makes like $900,000 in pro- pro- profit, but maybe the next year it makes another million dollars. And then the year after that makes $1.3 million. But then the year after that makes $875,000 in profit. I don't know. Maybe there's ups and downs. Maybe there are factors that change things. The economy ebbs and flows and, and then the product you're put, putting out, you know, doesn't always line up with the busiest times. I don't know. Like maybe there are factors that control things and the end all be all is not always growing and growing and growing and being bigger and more money. And because people like me are dumb and don't run companies and will never be in charge. This is why you don't get the simplicity of games like Gears of War and Call of Duty. Do you remember, you remember, uh, you remember, um, what the, what the fuck am I slowing down on? Remember Army of Two? I love Army of Two. Bring back Army of Two. No, don't even bring back Army of Two, but just make fun games again. Yeah, the, the reason why we don't get stuff like this anymore is because you release a game like... These are kind of bad examples because these are tentpole examples, but still, you release a game like Gears of War 3, right? Reviews great. Sells really, really well. Maybe sells 8, 10 million copies. And then you get a really big dedicated multiplayer base that is sticking with the game for five, six, eight months or something like that. And then that's it. People move on. A new game comes out. The attention shifts and focuses onto the new game. And the guys that made Gears of War 3 go, well, now let's make a new game. And that is kind of like the way video games worked in those days. Maybe if you were like Call of Duty or something, you were like a little ballsy and you're like, well, you know how to get a little more longevity out of this game. Well, uh, huh. We'll release a, uh, a map pack for $15 with three new multiplayer maps and one new zombies map or something like that. Something crazy and senile like that would happen. It'd be like, oh, oh I'm going to play this Call of Duty game for like an extra month or two because there's more maps I can get. Yeah, and that's that's how it worked back when things were simple and back when uh, back when there was less plastic in the in the in the rainwater. But the way it works today is it's like. Why the fuck would we wet our, wet our players? Why the fuck would we let our players move on with their lives when we could just hold them hostage? When we could say, yeah, you can pre-order the $70 version of the game like a fucking dumb idiot. Or you can buy the $120 version of the game, get access to the game three days early, get a season pass, plus an expansion we haven't even started developing yet. And you'll get like 100 bitcoins, which is like one of seven currencies in the game. But that's not even where the fun begins, because if you watch Twitch streamers play the game, that's right, I'm not even talking about you playing the game, I'm talking about you buying the game, and then watching Twitch streamers play the game, you will get Twitch drops. What are Twitch drops? It's kind of like bird poop, but for your video games, and you can get those in the game, and then you can buy DLC, and then you can buy microtransactions, but you gotta buy one currency to buy the other currency to buy the other currency, one of them costs real money, and the rest of them are confusing as hell, and you'll never understand it, unless you get a PhD in this one video game we're creating here. And then we'll make season one, season two, pre-season, season three reloaded. Then we'll go back to season three, season five, season six. Four is an unlucky number, depending on the culture. Season seven. And it just goes on and on like this. And it's like, what are we doing? Everything's live service. Everything has seasons. Money. All right, that's it. I, that, that's it. Like, what, there's not. And I lament that shit. And, and trust me, it's not all 
roses and, and dandelions or whatever the fuck the saying is. Um, because you, you do remember that back in those days, especially towards the latter years of the Xbox 360, there was the issue of like, okay, does Bioshock 2 really need a multiplayer? And, and, and I say that only half serious because I know this is maybe an unpopular opinion, but I actually thought Bioshock 2's multiplayer was kind of fun. I, I definitely play that game uh, on multiplayer a little more than maybe you were supposed to. But, you know, it was like a lot of games that didn't necessarily demand a multiplayer component did shoehorn a multiplayer component because that was the thing that got attention and made money. It was rudimentary at the time compared to where we are today, but it is kind of the same general concept, which is like more engagement. People are less likely to sell the game at GameStop. If we give them multiplayer, Um, people are less likely to fall off the game after three weeks and maybe play it for two, three, four months. And so it's all the same things about engagement, money, you know, trying to weaken the secondhand market. So more people buy the game brand new and the money goes to the publisher and developer and not to GameStop. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a similar premise. It's a similar place. It's just that God, we were so fucking naive back then <laughs> compared to where we are today. God damn you season passes. But yeah, I listen, man, and I'm with you and I, and I miss like even, even big games were so digestible by today's standards. Like you think about like mass effect one or elder scrolls oblivion. It's like, that game is adorable compared to like cyberpunk. <laughs> you know, it's like just games are, well, if you'll spend 700 hours exploring our video game. It's like, I don't want to spend $700 dollars. I don't want to spend 700 hours exploring the, my fucking life, let alone a goddamn video game. Like, uh, it's, it's egregious. But again, this ties back to the main conversation of this week's podcast, which is hopefully we are nearing a future where this is about to change because it's not sustainable. It doesn't fucking make sense. These these companies must have the telemetry to show that like people are not playing these games, especially these like open world single player games. It's like, dude, your average guy is not hitting every goddamn side quest in a Far Cry game. So why does every Far Cry game have to offer 120 hours worth of content when people are only going to play the game for like 20, 30 hours? Like, calm down, okay? Calm the fuck down. Silver Black, thank you for writing in. Silver Black, thank you for being awesome. Silver Black, is your Bitmoji wearing a baseball cap? No, is that a Pittsburgh Penguin cap you're wearing? Are you a hockey fan? What is that you're wearing? Thank you for writing in. Thank you all for writing in, and thank you all for listening. That's going to do it for this week's podcast. Hope you all take well, have a great week, and try to be optimistic. I, I, I know I sound so despondent and so pessimistic, and I don't mean to be that way. I'm not trying to be a naysayer. I'm not trying to be negative for the sake of being negative or to drive clicks or engagement, which is so fucking stupid when you have a podcast engaged, uh, you know, enjoyed by like 197 people. It's not, you know, I have no incentive to try and lie to you or, or, or drive hate or fuel you with enragement. Uh, I'm simply just trying to be honest about what, <laughs> what I see and what, what is. And unfortunately the news is just not super bright right now, but there, there is some, there is a bright spot in all this. And it's that the Logitech G cloud is a lot of fun and I'm really enjoying it. And I'm playing wasteland three. And my only takeaway is why didn't I play it sooner? So find games you love, enjoy spending time with things that make you genuinely happy. Enjoy the people you love and all that new Taco Bell menu items until next week. Be good, be safe and power your dreams. <laughs>